0: Review Podcast, a Columbus Crew post-game show where me and another writer from Massive Report review the crew. Today on the Crew Review, it's a special edition. It's a special episode. It's a season review for the Columbus Crew. And I have not one, but two very special co-hosts. And uh, the first one, he's the editor at Massive Report. And he popped on the Zoom call rocking a Manchester United shirt, and that got this whole chain reaction of jerseys popping out going on. So now representing Manchester United, he is none other than Pat Murphy. Pat, how you doing today?
1: Uh, I'm good. I want to make it very clear I am neither special uh, nor an exciting guest. I am just me. Um, I also would like to make it clear that I was just wearing this you then carried your computer through your entire house, made us all sick watching you walk through the house, put on your city jersey. <laughs> I then asked you where they were on the table, and you didn't want to have that conversation. And then Ori put on his Liverpool stuff. Sorry, I, I, I preemptively uh, introduced our next guest. But uh, I'm good, Andrew. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, and Ori putting on his Liverpool stuff ended all conversation about where our teams are on the table but I would also like to know, let you know it was so important to me to get this City jersey on that I took my computer past a sleeping three-year-old to get to this jersey. And joining us next, uh, Patrick spoiled it, but Ori Benatar joining the program for the first time, uh, wearing just a hideous, hideous, hideous jacket. Ori, how are you doing today?
2: Well, champions. It can't, can't get better in 2020 when Liverpool and the crew are, are champions. So, uh, yeah, I'm doing good. It's been a, it's been a fun couple days. What a year it's been. It's finally ending, but there's still more to come in 2021. Plenty to talk about, though.
0: Yeah, we have a lot to talk about. And, you know, I was telling Patrick uh, right before we hopped on the air that uh, it's very rare that my MLS team makes me feel better than my Premier League team does. And this year, it's been that. I mean, the Premier League's been a sad, sad place for for my my viewing privileges, but MLS could it get any better for the Columbus crew. And that's what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about Columbus crew in 2020. And I'm going to, Patrick, I'm going to ask you, um, going into the season, I mean, obviously nobody could predict what was to come. It was, I I remember just some grumblings before the Seattle game about uh, possibly going to limited to no fan attendance and thinking that was just crazy and it was never going to happen. But taking the, shutdown which we'll talk about and taking all of that out of it uh, going into the season what were your hopes uh, Patrick Goldown talked last week on the pod about how he thought this would be a good building year to next year hopefully getting to the cup but uh, what were your hopes going into this season when you looked at all the offseason moves and and how the pieces fell into place before the season got kicked
1: off I just want to be clear you said no one could have predicted this season You actually predicted that they would win the MLS Cup. So, you know, I just, you know, pat yourself on the back a little bit there. I know you have, like, in our internal channels, but at least publicly, like, you should take some credit for this.
0: Don't worry. On the podcast, I have taken credit for good, good. several weeks. (laughs) All right,
1: good. Uh, So, yes, at least somebody predicted it. Uh, No, uh, I, I agree with what Patrick said last show, that I thought this team would be much improved from last year. I thought the additions that they'd made mid-season last year, um, kind of building towards this season, were good and would progress. You know, Lucas Zelarayan was obviously a big piece. There was kind of an uncertainty, but obviously high expectations about him with with what the crew play, paid for him. And I thought that this would be a, of a good year. I thought honestly the like the third place in the east, third place in the east. Excuse me um finish that they ended up having was was about right I did not foresee an MLS cup run this year I thought this team was on the up and moving in that direction but certainly did not see this coming uh at this point I think the team probably did if you talk to the players you talk to Caleb they thought they were built to win this year and going forward frankly and and that's their intent every year but um I thought it was it was a year or so away from from reaching kind of the promised land so to speak and I was wrong
0: yeah and you know you you come into the season excited Uh, we saw a lot of a lot of big things happen in the offseason I for all the credit that I will take for predicting the crew uh, the crew were going to win the cup I also thought that Fernando Adi was going to be a key to that uh, just having some striking depth and we saw that didn't play out but what we did see is how important depth became this season and we saw that pretty early on. I mean, it was, I, I can't remember, was it the first match of the season that Vito Warmhor ends up going down yeah. and, and we're already relying on depth one match into the season. So the season opens up uh, just a packed Mopre stadium. It was exciting. You, you felt the excitement of, of the fans. And I thought, man, this is going to be really cool. We're going to see the last full season of Mopre just go out and bangers of of crowds and just this excitement. And obviously that's, that's not what we ended up seeing. Uh, Crew open the season with a one nil victory over New York city with a goal by Lucas Salarone, who just you felt his impact from match one. And then they go on the road against Seattle. And this is where things start getting rocky. And this is probably the meat of what we're going to talk about tonight is um, before the Seattle match, we hear rumblings of, potentially uh going without crowds or limited attendance because of something called COVID 19, which none of us were too too aware of what that was or what that had in store for us. But I remember uh tweeting something about oh they would never end up playing soccer without fans. That makes no sense. What what are we even talking about here? But we go on the road against Seattle and get a, a one-one draw. Let's we could talk about the match and, and whatnot. You saw promise from the crew, two matches in, two, two pretty big results, but pretty uh, – I can't remember the exact timeline, and maybe one of you two could help me. It was very shortly after this match that MLS announces that the season is postponed indefinitely.
2: Yeah, so essentially. So first off, I do want to say I half predicted that they would win MLS Cup. In my, in, in, my, in my introductory Stop. article to the site in late February – My last sentence was let's get that second cup. I'm just saying. So I had an arm
1: give this this to Andrew. You did not. No,
2: Andrew has it. I'm I'm saying Andrew's got it. (laughs) I was saying I had something, not, not the something I had something, but in terms of the timeline. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned this, I think when Seattle beat Minnesota and then we just had to put the article out there, like crew face Seattle and MLS cup, the Sounders and the crew were the first two teams in major league soccer that knew And had to deal with COVID-19 because Seattle, Washington was the first city in America that had known COVID cases in early March. And then the match happened on that Saturday evening at like 1030 at night. Then, so that was on the 7th of March. And then four days later on the 11th, which I believe was a Tuesday then. We heard about Rudy Gobert getting COVID. And then we saw that the Jazz Thunder game got suspended. And then Adam Silver was like, seasons suspended. We're stopping. And then the following day, following morning, MLS decided 30-day suspension. And 30 days turned into four months. And then that's every, right. And then that's every right. other week, every other week it was training moratorium extended, season suspended, an extra 40, 60 days. So we didn't I, know when Crew Soccer was going to come back.
0: I said the season was suspended indefinitely, but you're absolutely right. I forgot it was it was one excruciating little chunk of time
2: yeah, at, at a time. Here's a trivia question for the two of you and for people listening. Who were the Crew supposed to play that weekend at Mopfrey Stadium if the season were to go on as normal? Do you guys oh, remember? Was it, was it Salt Lake? It was Salt Lake. Yeah, they were supposed – I'm not looking at anything. I just – I I, I remember the Justin
1: Miram. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it was Justin Miram supposed to come back to Columbus. They were going to play RSL, and that was going to be the game on that uh, Saturday afternoon in Columbus. And then that – And all all it said for the 30-day suspension was four games are going to get rescheduled. Right. Little did we know that the entire regular season schedule, which I have on this coaster – you know all these teams oh, and all go. these dates that were supposed to happen for the crew in 2020 didn't happen, and we ended up going
1: to Orlando, Florida to play a World Cup MLS tournament. Well, and it's it's funny, like you know Ori, Ori, you and I and Patrick Goldan after the game, we're talking about this a lot, just like how things worked out with Seattle and the crew playing. Um, but it's it's just crazy to think about like that at that time, right? Like like you said, Andrew, you know. Games without fans, what does that even mean? You know, games canceled. I mean, like, you know, I've, I've said this a lot, especially covering college football stuff. Like, that's just an absurd idea, right? Like, you're not going to have games at Ohio Stadium at the Horseshoe without 100,000. Like, you're not going to do that. You're not going to do that for crew games. You're not going to do that at wh- whatever the sport is. I mean, EPL, NBA, NH, you know, whatever. And, like, now that's such a normal thing. And, like, games being canceled, like, if before March 11th, you, you didn't hear if a game got canceled, something was very wrong. Right. Right. And you know, now it's like, you know, the NBA has already canceled a game three days into the season and it's just like, well, it's 2020. So it's, it's just nuts to me how quickly we've, and, and I mean this, you can relate this to a lot of things, but how quickly the sports world has, has pivoted to like, no fans games canceled on the regular, those type of things. So man, thinking about that game in March is, is feels yeah, like a, a lifetime ago. It was a
2: different world then. Yeah. And, and that's the, the crazy thing. The crew played two games in a pre pandemic world, but even then they played one game in a world where they didn't have to think about COVID-19 right. one game in 28 where nothing in their, nothing in their brains, their cerebrums, whatever you want to say, craniums about COVID-19, nothing, no thoughts, nothing. Well,
1: and I mean, the the funny thing about that game, like obviously that was one of the first things impacted because of the talk of no fans. But like, if you remember back to why it was the XFL game the week before <laughs> at uh, CenturyLink, which is now whatever it's called. Um, Lumen, I think. Yeah, Lumen Field, yeah. Where the the concession stand worker tested positive. And he was like one of the first people that – tested, I mean, on a, you know, relative scale that tested positive for this virus. And it was like, you know, well, no one else is tested, you know, this, this isn't a big deal. And like thinking about that now is just like, if someone tested positive working at a a thing, you shut the whole thing down. And back then uh, that it was just trying to wrap my head around where we were then and like watching that game. And I watched that game at a bar. Like I haven't been to a bar since then pretty much, you know, like it's, it's just nuts to me to think about all of that. I mean, we went to point tavern
2: two days after the match to record an MR podcast. And I remember my mom who has underlying conditions, which is why I'm being super careful was telling. And even if she didn't, I would try and be as careful as possible. It's a virus. We have to protect ourselves and whatnot and others. But I remember her telling me, so, because this is a thing, when you go out to record the podcast, bring hand sanitizer, bring wipes, <laughs> bring gloves, try not to touch any surfaces, don't handshake. And I was elbow bumping Pat, Brian, and other people that day. And we just I... met Ori like two weeks prior. To yeah. That, so <laughs> This kid was just weird. And yeah, you're like, what an a-hole.
0: a-hole. What, what
2: an a-hole. <laughs> what he, an He's got his arms like covered with his sleeves. He's like, what is he doing? He's not touching the table. And then I remember saying, Jokes you know, about us. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and I think me and Alex were kind of, in the sim well alex had more of a mindset of the game could get canceled against rsl i was thinking maybe if it got canceled and then two days later you know shit got
0: real if we we can use that you know and uh yeah you can say whatever you want but you know it's actually a sidebar non-soccer related but since we're talking so much covid i remember my wife likes to bring this up a lot and throw it in my face i remember getting super annoyed with her because she was setting up an appointment on Uh, facebook marketplace to go buy some masks and i'm like we won't need to buy masks what are you doing like acting like she was just insane for thinking we need to
1: have masks at our house i'm like we're not going to get to the point we have to wear masks and uh and And even just like having to set up a appointment to buy like now they're just readily available right you had to like physically like find them somewhere yeah. find That's-
0: someone on facebook who will make you a mask or you-
1: make them and ho- like more yeah. people
2: either made or bought more masks this year than like underwear and now it's to the point to where uh, not toilet paper though not <laughs> toilet paper or hand sanitizer or clorox wipes
0: we have uh we have a gas station right down the road and now it's to the point where yeah you go if you walk in that gas station they actually have a little dispenser for masks that you can just pull masks as you walk in because they got sick of the, uh, I forgot my mask excuse. So that it changed everything. Our whole lives changed. And, um, man, I'll tell you, it's, it's been a tough year. It's been a tough year for everybody. It's been a tough year for, I think I've gotten so sick of watching sports this season, this year, that if it weren't for Columbus crew and if it weren't for massive report, I, Patrick, you're a lot more involved in covering sports. It's, it's what you do for a living. It's what I do more for a hobby. And, and Ori, I know you're somewhere in between. And uh, I'll tell you, I'm I'm not a huge fan of sports outside of soccer. But I have gotten to the point where even Premier League, I don't watch every game anymore. It's gotten to the point where sports are kind of depressing for me to watch. Uh, the empty stadiums, uh, just everything. Like you said, matches or games being canceled. It's What is it like from the i get i don't want to say the insider perspective but the insider perspective i mean this year's unlike any it's unprecedented it's unlike any year in sports history
1: and you've been you've been doing this for a while now how long have you covered the columbus crew i have covered the crew since well i covered them for a few years when i was in college uh but i've done it for mass reports since 2014 so uh, so you
0: had a good run before covid yeah.
1: Yeah, so, yeah. Tell me. I mean, a normal
0: year compared to this year, uh, can, can you kind of give us a, a a Venn diagram of what's different, what's the same, and and just what
1: what, what was it like this year? Nuts. Uh, that's really the only way I can explain it um, in in a word. But yeah, I mean, like, so in a normal year, I'm at practice pretty much four or five days a week. Um, I, you know, know, we get, we go there, we wait outside. If you've ever been out to the Obet's facility, may it rest in peace. Um, that, that you stand outside the gate that you get in until they let us in. And we get to watch at least usually the, the end of practice. Uh, some days we get to watch more. Some days we get to watch the whole thing. Um, and you get a very, very much more of a sense of the team. Um, you know, I don't know everything about what's going on, but I certainly feel like I have an idea of, okay, this is how things are going. This is how this guy's feeling. This is how this guy's being used. Um, you see if guys aren't out there, for instance, um, you know, any, any, you know, you can, you gain a little bit of knowledge just from watching, even if it's the last 15 uh, minutes practice, there's well, there's something to be gained.
0: And the point you, you were kind of touching on there, I... I just joined Massive Report this year. This was my first year with Massive Report, and uh, I think certain family members and people that follow Columbus Crew, I think they think that uh, joining Massive Report means I immediately get every player's cell phone number, Caleb Porter's direct line, and, and I just have all the inside scoops. Cause- oh, do you
1: want them? You've just never asked. I mean, have oh. got them. Oh, my bad. Well, uh, let, let's hook up over. after
0: the show. All right. Yeah. But- So throughout the season, a lot of times it's, uh, hey, hey, do you know when Nagby's coming back? When's Nagby coming back? Is Nagby in practice? And I felt like the hardest part about covering Columbus Crew this season, and I'm sure just kind of from your perspective, in the past, if Nagby goes down with injury, when you see Nagby come back to practice, you kind of have a a bit of a, even without being able to talk to him, and even if you were able to talk to him, you have a gist of, well, Nagby's at least – enough to run nagby's at least getting back in there this season covering the team you're kind of as in the dark as anybody
1: yeah i mean we talked about this on the on the the master report the, the the main podcast throughout the season was main
0: podcast yeah however
1: whatever, whatever you want to call it um the uh the mothership the sister show right <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah sure um but we talked about it throughout the year because. You know, normally when we talk about injuries and things like that, I would at least have some idea because, you know, I'd been at practice and, you know, if, if the guy is out there or, you know, in, even if he's jogging around the field during practice, you're like, okay, he's, he's on his way back. Right. But this year we entirely relied on the team to give us their information, which was difficult. Uh, I, I mean, you know, they decided to be well, basically prior to this year. We got we always get an injury report on match notes, and prior to this year, there was much more description on out. You know, game time to you know however you want to just however they wanted to disclose it, and usually you got like knee, ankle, you know those type of things. This year with COVID, they decided the crew. Uh, to not disclose anything as we know, you know, leading an MLS cup and everything, it was just a, essentially available or unavailable. Um, and, you know, it wasn't disclosed why now generally you were able to discern that, but yeah, that made it hugely more complicated on, on my part. Um, and the other thing is just the interactions. Like, you know, I, I I've gotten to know a lot of these guys on at least a like professional relationship level, um, you know, then like, I know who, who, you know, I get a sense of like a guy's walking off. I can tell, you know, okay, this is a good time to talk to this guy or not, things like that. And, you know, like a guy like Darlington Nagby, who obviously joined the team, you know, just prior to the season. I don't know him any more than I know anyone else. You know, I've talked to him in person one time. Right. And that was preseason when uh, they had media day, uh, Ori was there and the same with like Vito and like, you know, guys like, that. like there's this relationship aspect that you normally get with covering the team. And like, which is helpful uh, in a, in a lot of ways, uh, the, was completely lost this year. And, you know, it, it, you know, it hurt coverage. And the final thing I will say is that the, the uh, normally I can, when I'm at practice, I can ask for, you know, I'd like to talk to this guy today. Um, and we talked to Caleb pretty much every day this year. It was once or twice a week. If we were lucky, here's your zoom call. Here's who you're getting. So it was like, your stories were instead of you coming up with an idea, here's what I'd like to write about today. I'm going to talk to these guys. It was more, here's who's available. I'm going to have to write this story. So it was, it was very different. It was, it was a very unique year. Um, from that perspective
0: yeah and i think we all learned pretty quickly into the year uh in the massive report communications that uh patrick's not gonna be able to help us out this year <laughs> i mean we would we'd be working on a story and it'd be uh, hey hey you have any any scoop on this and and the constant answer was guys i can't i can't go to practices i can't talk to these i don't i, I know about as much as you do this year here's here's the audio i have go for it you know dig in and find out Ori, you're kind of more in my boat where you, you hopped on this year. This was your first year with massive report. You were a little more hands-on though, a little more uh, of a presence in Columbus. Uh, you were at the match before shutdown and uh, <laughs> give me your perspective, man. Cause I know I had a, a, a image of what coming into master report and covering the crew was going to be. And then COVID happened. So
2: yeah it's been kind of an interesting ride for sure i mean to clarify i was actually not at the first game because i remember i applied pat and i talked what maybe a week before the new york city game maybe a week and a half agreed upon you know me joining the site and i'm a broadcast journalist grad from the university of illinois so
1: we get we got him his high salary that he needed
2: <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> But essentially, it you know I'm 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 at the site and doing this you know as a reporting gig, but also for an opportunity kind of thing because you know I've had that experience. I covered Illinois football and men's basketball in college, and you know I'm doing whatever I can for the site, writing articles, going to games, graphic designing now for the Instagram account, and being on the podcast. So. And doing you know, for a me, damn
1: good job at it, I would just like to
2: Thank say. you. Thank you. Yeah, and, uh, if you guys haven't seen the international logo post, that really, that really did a number that took me a whole day to make. So that was a lot of fun. But, um, yeah, so it was, it, w- it was a year of excitement for me. I was really looking forward to getting back to covering live sports. I'm so glad that I got the opportunity to later on in the year. And then COVID hits, and it's like, well, what, what now? Nothing's happening. So it turned into trying to find other things to do, but also from covering the team's perspective, you know, I went from all amped up to what What? What do we do now from content perspective, from a social media perspective and whatnot, because we were just frozen in time for essentially three months where we couldn't do anything because – around beginning of june is when we got the mls's back news that there would be an mls's back tournament and then a week later charlie davies did his little draw in his little cereal bowl with his little twix or twix tricks balls or whatever and drew the totally legitimate groups for mls's back so <laughs> and obviously pat has covered the team for a long time you know my experience of covering sports was in college and You know, I did social media, writing, radio. I did everything that I could. And I remember going to basketball games and you go to the game, you're sitting in a press area, you live tweet the game. And then afterwards you go down for a press conference or for football, where you're up in the press box, you're covering the game, doing whatnot. And then around the fourth quarter, you go down to the field, you see the end of the game from the field, and then you walk into the tunnel after the players to go to the press conference in person. So, you know, that's something from my experience that I wasn't able to do as much this year. I met Caleb one time. I shook hands with them before COVID. We talked about soccer for like 30 minutes. You know, I I saw some of the players. I never got a chance to really meet any of them in person, but I know all these players and Caleb and crew staff members and people within the club from Zoom. And that's it. So that's why hopefully next season we'll be able to start going to practice and talking to the, and, you know, I might get a chance to finally meet some of these guys that I've talked to on zoom so many times and talk to Caleb more and, you know, meet members of the crew media and people that work within the club as well to build those relationships, you know, from a content perspective, but yeah, it's really hard when, cause one thing I really wanted to focus on this year was feature stories, do video content. You know, I had, <laughs> yeah. I had all these ideas. Yeah. Luckily we were able to do some of them, but you know, other things just fell off the table. Like, You know, for example, you look at, you know, young guys like Sebastian Berhalter and Aiden Morris, you know, in a regular season, you know, let's say they get in for some rotation. And even though they're not the primary guys you talk to, like around MLS is back, Sebastian Berhalter was starting in the group stage. And if, you know, if that was a regular season game or whatnot, Sebastian's at practice, we go talk to him and you do a feature story about him, you know, whether it's about, you know, him getting into the team, you know, connection with his dad and the crew, all these types of ideas can come in. And I think that's what was kind of lost from a content perspective, but you know, in, in April, May, I thought that there was not going to be a season. I thought that we were in a position where no soccer would have been played. I didn't know what was going to happen. And slowly things started getting better from a COVID perspective in May and June. And then in the 4th of July, things ballooned again. And then we had MLS's back. So you know, I'm just rambling at this point. There's just so many <laughs> thoughts running through my head. But, you yeah, know.
1: it's
2: it's been a weird year for sure.
1: And I can't emphasize enough, like, the amount that relationships play into what we do. You know, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't even think I realized it as much until this year of just, like, the interactions as guys, like, walk off the field. Just like, hey, how you doing today? You know, that type of stuff that, you know, they, they recognize you, they know who you are, you know, they, they're willing to talk to you when it's just a zoom call with X amount of reporters, you know, it's, it's just not the same. There's not that, that nor, I mean, anyone who's been on a zoom call and we're doing it right now, like there's not just like, that, that normal connection that you, you get. There's also that
2: raise hand aspect. So it's not like if, if Jonathan's
1: in the zoom, it's not like you can just ask Jonathan, Hey, what's up. Right. And, and you just, you just miss that, that, that normalcy. And I think when you're, when you're just talking to someone in person um, it's, it's so much different. And, you know, even the conversations we'll have with, with Caleb or the guys um, pre post interview really matter and like that that really helps things um and you know that was just lost i mean there was a lot of things that sucked this year but from a coverage standpoint like we did a great job at master report uh both of you guys have done a fantastic job but i think like you know having that ability to to kind of talk to these guys and build these relationships is i think what what we've done really well the last several years and yeah no one had that this year. I mean, that's, you know, across the board. It just, it just sucked.
0: No, like you said, or I might, I might've even said it, who knows who said it at this point, but it was almost like covering the crew for master report. You, you were just kind of covering the crew from the perspective of what you're seeing on TV. That's really the, the beginning and the end of what the information you had to go off of. And so we did a whole lot of COVID talk, but that might be, you know, that's, the thread through the season it, it have impacted the season from match two all the way into MLS cup. So you can't talk about 2020 Columbus crew without talking about COVID and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully 2021. We, if we have to talk about COVID, hopefully we're only talking about a month or two of COVID, but so we talk about MLS is back. MLS announces that they're coming back. I believe, uh, I believe the hashtag at the beginning of the season was MLS is back So the hashtag for MLS is back was MLS is back is back. And we come back and crew comes back and man, what a tear Columbus crew goes on. We get put into uh, uh, the group stage, which is in the convoluted weird MLS rules of this whole tournament. The group stage is the only thing that counts as regular season. After that, it's all for a cup that nobody will remember next year. So it seemed like crew was focused. Remember who won? uh, Portland it was portland wasn't
2: it yeah, yeah now it, they get it was but now they I, get to play in the champions league
1: yeah i just i like like you said no one's gonna remember that i bet 90 percent of the people listening to this until you said portland didn't remember who won the only reason i remember is because i did research for the podcast
0: <laughs> <laughs> i i knew orlando played somebody but i couldn't remember who and uh Champions League is, is what a joke. I think Atlanta's also playing in the Champions League on some weird COVID. Uh, r-
2: yeah, because U.S. Open Cup didn't happen this year. So instead of being like, let's give the fourth American spot to like MLS Cup runners up, they gave it to Atlanta because they won the U.S. Open Cup like two years ago.
0: Right. So, all right. As I, many as bats at,
1: at bats as possible. Essentially.
0: <laughs> They'll get there eventually. So, so we come back to MLS is back and. Columbus just go on an absolute tear through the, uh, the group stage. And I think what they, it, the season had shut down for four months by that point, MLS is back, comes back and the crew go seven and O outscore, or they outscore their opponents seven and zero through the group stage. Uh, I think coming out of the group stage, it's, pretty unanimous across the league that Columbus is getting all the attention. The crew and the group stage of MLS is back number one in the league standings. And just, it wasn't even close. They were just a powerhouse through the through the group stages. And I, I remember just being shocked. It seemed like no other club was quite ready to come back yet. No other club was quite quite fit and quite playing as a team. And Columbus just came back. Firing on all cylinders, we end up in the next stage that doesn't count. Having a draw with Minnesota, losing in penalty kicks, and uh, I think the the most important thing about the draw against Minnesota is it seemed like the penalty kick shootout where we didn't have elbow room. Andrew Tarbell was in, uh, dove one way every single time, and didn't block a single penalty kick. I think the most important thing that did is it made the vast majority of Columbus Crew fans hate Andrew Tarbell. Which uh just plays into his story going through the season where he just shuts everybody up. But And I, then <laughs> Yeah. So we come out we come out of that and then we the next match after the MLS is back is a one 0 loss to New York City. We rebound with another six match undefeated streak. And this this whole streak we go on here, it, it ends up being what I think nine shutouts in 13 matches, six goals against through 13 matches, best defensive start in league history. At this point, Columbus crew is like far and away the best team in the league. Everyone's, everyone's feeling real good. How did you guys feel coming out of this first initial stretch? I I break the season up before I get your answer. I break the season up into three parts. When I think about this season, pre Toronto, post Toronto and playoffs. So in the pre-Toronto phase of everything, how how were you guys feeling at that point?
1: I think the, the MLS back MLS is back tournament was really made it very clear going in, and this was Caleb's mission was nine points. We want nine points. We know that when the season comes back, we want to be in the best possible situation. And they went on there and did that. But I think what that also did was it put the crew kind of on the map, so to speak. You know, there were very few sports at that time people were watching MLS's back. Cause it was just on, you know, and then and, and the crew, you know, there were 10, 30 games and whatnot. So the crew weren't exactly in prime time, but I think by that third game against Atlanta, who was obviously a marquee opponent, people were beginning to take notice of the crew. And it was like, all right, this team has something like, I don't think anyone expected them to be what, what they became. Um, but, There was, there was an, there was a, you know, if you'd watch this team, there was a sense of like, all right, there's, this is good. They've got some good stuff going on here. So I think that that was really important for this team. And I think it really like gave belief to those guys that, Hey, we, we we are contenders, you know, um, you know, when you, you know, they knew they were going to beat Cincinnati, but when you beat Atlanta and, uh, read uh, the Red Bulls the way that they did um, like those are two teams that were supposed to be winning the East this year. And obviously, you know, whatever happened with them happened for various reasons, but it gave this team a lot of confidence that we can go and we can do whatever we need to do this season. And so I think that that was very important. Um, and I think that they were very prepared for that part of the season. And I think they were very prepared for coming back uh, when it started Back in home markets, which is important, like you said, Andrew. Uh, not every team was fired up about MLS's back, uh, and right. you know it. You know those points counted the same as as, as everything else. So, um, as a fan of MLS,
0: I remember watching the MLS's back tournament. I believe there were two or three matches before Columbus played. There was a few more.
2: I think it was four days before Columbus played Cincinnati of the tournament. I was,
0: I was fired up. And like, like Patrick said, I was depraved of any soccer at that point. So I just, I was watching anything. And I remember what stuck with me is how boring MLS's back was at first. Every match I watched, I'm like, good Lord. I mean, you could tell these teams haven't been playing together. You could tell that they hadn't been training together. It was brutal. No fans.
1: Was, I mean, yeah. Right. Which is was, it was super weird at that time.
0: Yeah. It was Bush League. The lack of fans was just really tough to deal with. And I remember there were so many things distracting from, from the game itself, and the game itself wasn't very good. And then Columbus happened. And I remember it was Lucas Celeron's just banger of a free kick. And it that just woke this tournament up. And Columbus came in, they were the first team that weren't boring, didn't look Bush they looked like they had it together. And I remember they just thinking, Oh, thank God. Thank God somebody's here to play. Yeah. And and like like Patrick said, it got everybody talking about the crew. And Ori, how did you feel going into that stretch where Columbus were the supporter shield leaders? They were the ones who I felt like we're getting all the talk. I mean, it takes a lot for ESPN and MLS.com to rank Columbus Crew number one in their uh, power rankings. And they both did for maybe it was only two weeks, but yeah. they did.
2: No, but it was a unique position. I mean, first off, that crew win over FC Cincinnati really ignited that tournament because I thought MLS's back was very, very exciting and was a very very successful tournament you know after dallas and nashville dropped out for covid reasons and the first couple of games were just absolute snooze fest we saw columbus just batter uh the the bus that caleb porter had mentioned so many times in press conferences and then you know after after beating philly at home you know facing the bus again and we'll get to facing cincinnati the amount of times they did later on but Yeah, that really ignited MLS's back into the tournament that it turned into with excitement. People were looking forward to it. And MLS was in such a unique position because in July, at that time, in terms of sports, all we had was some Bundesliga. Premier League was getting ready to return. You saw Major League Baseball start their 60-game season towards the back end of MLS's back. The NBA was about to start as well. NHL was getting ready to return in August. So MLS had about two, three weeks where it was really the primary American sport that was on television at the time. Right. And MLS has back to really well. And the crew did very well to take that uh, spotlight and that limelight and put themselves in the public eye of being a team that is a legitimate contender to potentially win the trophy or at the very least, you know, make it to the final, make it to the Eastern conference finals after playing so well in the group stage. And then, you know, after about a month off after losing to Minnesota on penalties, after tying them in 90 minutes, you know, they come back to Columbus phase one of the schedule comes out and you see phase one of the schedule and you're like, the crew can still be in first place. They played Chicago twice, Cincinnati, again, double decker bus, Caleb Porter laughed about that and then they get to play Philly in New York City. So, there was a really that good That was the
1: quote of the year by the way. Caleb there were
2: there were a lot I mean there was a couple the, my favorite Caleb moments, double decker bus, which I think I got out of him. Yeah, and then also he when he took off his mask at MLS match yeah. when Aiden when I asked about Aiden and Sebastian and he smiled. So that yeah. was amazing. Here's what I think. Mastiness. Yeah, and a masked-off smile. So.
0: I've talked about this on the pod quite a few times, and I'm, I need to uh, – Patrick, you really got to get me these numbers of, of Columbus Crew contacts. Oh, you like, didn't get I my text, text messages? Oh,
1: yeah. No, not uh, yet. Must, not, must just be loading. Know, the Rolodex is big.
0: <laughs> I think, oddly enough, it's because you've yet to give me your phone number, so that might also play a role. Oh, in sorry. This, but, uh, I don't <laughs>
1: know been, who, I don't I've, know been been who pitching, I've been texting then.
0: <laughs> I've been pitching this idea – Time and time again of the of what I call the Porter Pass, where you spend ten dollars a month. You don't even need video, you just get game audio of Caleb Porter on the sideline. <laughs>
1: that yeah, we, uh, well, that was one of the cool things about MLS's back. I mean, yeah. they did pump in the crowd noise and stuff right. on I think both channels. I don't, no, I don't it, know. No,
2: it it was only Fox. ESPN kept
1: it silent. Okay.
0: Yeah, it depended on the match, whether the god awful fake. Crowd but you noise
1: got And like, this has been true about a lot of sports, but like, it's been uniquely interesting to hear some of that extra stuff and not just Caleb, the players, you know, obviously every team, but um, that was an interesting dynamic till this no fan year uh, was kind of hearing, you know, you see Caleb and obviously he's very animated and, and whatnot on the sidelines and has probably actually toned it down from what he was uh, during his Portland days and his Akron days, uh, from my understanding. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting to hear some of the things, not all of it was PG 13. No, uh, there was a lot of censorship
0: on crew games
1: this year, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I I mean, I do think that's interesting, you know, when you're hearing him, you know, yelling and I mean, just yelling, because that's what you do like at Harrison awful about like stuff because Harry's the guy on, on the touchline right there. Um, you know, it's it, it's just in, it's a dynamic that you didn't normally get. So, you know, if you're trying to take positives out of 2020, being able to like hear how coaches literally coach in a game right. uh, was was something you got. And you know, Caleb is obviously yeah. a guy that is is hard to not hear.
2: We got that at MLS's back. We were also able to hear some of Caleb from the press area at games at home when there were no fans. In that first game against Chicago which I thought was one of one of the key games for the crew in the season because it really set the tone for them being a team that can win at home. And they only lost one match at home. And their form at Mopfrey Stadium, we can pinpoint potentially as the the reason why they're MLS Cup champions from the perspective of playing at home and winning. It's literally ne- the only <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Mopfrey – Mob Frey and Disney; those are the only places yeah. the crew won in 2020. It's, it's they certainly might be, not
0: their performances on the road that carry. Yeah, it. I
2: mean, they might be the only team in MLS history to not win a true row game and still be MLS Cup champions. But I still, you know, remember hearing Caleb, you know, telling people to run, you know, faintly, but it came out. But the best is when he's yelling at Luis to just run because yeah. anything he tells Luis, it's just run. He just wants Luis to sprint past people. But you That's know that should. Did. That Chicago game was great because that was the first game I got to finally cover and, you know, finally being able to see some of these guys that I just met in February for the first time and in, in six months. And they come out with a big 3 nothing performance. They were a little shaky in the beginning of that second half, but, you know, that was that was the Darlington-Nagby Thunderbolt goal. It's too bad it wasn't right in front of us. It was at the opposite end. But, yeah, man, those guys were excited about that. And that moment really started to light the fire in the crew to be like, we have a lot of guys on this team that can make an impact. It's not all Zelrayan, It's not all Zardes. It's not all Nagby. It's everyone put together. And they really showed in the Chicago game and in the weeks ahead at home that they were a a good
0: unit. Yeah, and we talk about uh, impacts and and players who had a a big impact. And so we talked about how I split the season up. I I have a a pre-Toronto, post-Toronto. And and that's because Toronto is the first time this season where – you felt that gut punch as a crew fan you you had you had your losses here and there i think the only regular season loss up to toronto was new york city and it was just a bad giveaway yeah just a cata
2: giveaway that led to a tap-in for one of i don't remember who scored for new york city at the time and then you know a draw against cincy at nippert but then hey zelri rocket against philly Zardes continuing to score bags of goals against Cincy at home and then the Chicago comeback. So
0: And there was no bad result to bad result stretch. Like if we got a draw, we came back and won. If we lost, we came back and won. And then Toronto happened. And that was the first time in the season where you like I said, you got that gut punch. It was a three one loss and the only goal Columbus scored was an own goal from Toronto. And that match was it was tough. It was tough and it felt bad and it was kind of like, I was hoping, I was like, okay, so this was the first, like, in my opinion, the first real tough competition Columbus had faced in the season because we did hear a whole lot of, well, Cruz first in the league, but that's because they played Cincinnati four times or they played this team three times or, you know, you already had the asterisk talk at that point but Toronto changed everything that match before that match happened. Columbus had only been scored on multiple times in one game before the, uh, the loss to Toronto. So, and, and then I, like I already said, nine shutouts and 13 matches only six goals against and 13 matches after Toronto, everything changes 11 match streak with zero shutouts, 18 goals against and 18 goals for in that, 11 match streak after Toronto compared to before Toronto was 22 goals for and six goals against. So everything kind of changes with that Toronto wall that we hit Patrick. I think I I mean, everybody already knows a big part of why this happened. Uh, We saw a lot of those losses. We didn't have Nagby, We didn't have Zeller on, but what, what was it? Do you think what, what happened to the crew about halfway through the season where it seems like the wheels just kind of fell off and fell off hard.
1: Yeah, I mean, they definitely did from a, from a result standpoint. Like, that Toronto game was the, the wake-up call, so to speak, I think, for a lot of these guys. Like you mentioned, you know, no Nagby in that game. Berhalter starts the game. Um, I think – I'm looking at this right now. I think he came out for Aiden – Oh, hold on. This is good radio. Uh, no, I'm wrong. I'm, oh yeah. He came out for Aiden in the sixth segment. I thought it was at halftime. I was going to say,
0: I think you're right. Cause I think that's where, isn't that the first match Aiden Morris makes his Yeah. I
1: be- that's what I was going to say is I believe that that was the start of the, the Aiden, Mor- Aiden Morris hype train. Um, but it was just a game where the crew looked overmatched, frankly. And um, I, I think frankly, it had a lot to do with, how the lineup was, but, but also just the schedule and, you know, the, I don't know, it it was just a bad performance. And like, you're going to get those throughout the season, right. Um, In in any season, much less a a condensed season like this one. Um, But I think this team kind of needed a punch in the mouth and, you know, maybe that game didn't wake them up immediately, but I think it was kind of like, look, here's where MLS is and here's where you guys have been playing, you know, now you're talking about a team that's contended for MLS cup titles in what two of the last three years. Uh, so, you know, you you know, it's time to wake up type of thing. And, you know, I think, I think it did. And, and as they got healthy, you started to see that. So, um, you know, I, I think that was just one of those, one of those games at that point in time, but I think it was a needed game just to like recognize, Hey, you know, this isn't going to be a cakewalk for you guys. You've, right. you know, you've got to, you've got to earn this if you want to get to where you want to go
0: you're going to have to play teams that aren't FC Cincinnati eventually.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, you know, uh,
0: I, I said at the time, and I still, I think this was huge. I think this loss was more important than a win would have been in this situation, because what this did is it made Columbus kind of wake up and realize, okay, so we don't have Nagby. What are we going to do? What are we going to do when we don't have Nagby? What are we going to do when all the pieces aren't here? And that became such an important question to answer for Columbus moving throughout the the final half of the season and into the playoffs. So Ori, we we talked to Patrick, we got his perspective, the gut punch, the Toronto loss. And then we we have a little stretch where we have losses against Montreal. We have a loss against FC Cincinnati. We have a loss against DC. We have some really tough performances At any point here, did you think uh, the hype train's over? Did you think that we're seeing Columbus slip into a, a, well, maybe first round, second round playoff kind of thing, but that's the best we're going to hope now.
2: I think my mindset was, if this team's on the road, it's not going to happen because nothing they did on the road was to was as good as what they did at home like they were two it was almost watching two different teams mls's back is not true road they were in orlando for 3 4 weeks and got to settle and it was a neutral field for everyone whereas we saw the implementation of the mls travel schedule for covid reasons to keep guys away from the city and potential infections as much as possible by having them travel to the game site on the day of the game, you know, a few hours before kickoff and then leaving that night. And we got into this really condensed schedule. And that was also around the time when the Orlando game got postponed until November. So, you know, the crew got lucky in that regard that they were able to have a mini break in there. But at the same time, it wasn't really much of a mini break because two staff members tested positive and everyone had to do contact tracing, get extra testing. They probably weren't able to train during that time. So There's just such this cluster of a schedule, the road trips, and the way they were playing on the road, it was a completely different team. And October was their worst month. And the Toronto game was the only game that I did not watch because that was right when Day of Atonement started, fast, no television, nothing. So I couldn't watch a second of the Toronto game live. It's the only game this season I didn't watch. But I saw the highlights and saw that in the first half they were playing pretty well, and then the second half it was just a collapse, which is rare this season for the crew because Columbus usually, if they're not in the lead in the first half or don't get a goal in the first half, first ten minutes of the second half they usually get one, and right. they're they're out of the gates fast in the second half. But once those losses started happening, my mindset was, wow, this team is completely different on the road than two at home, completely different. You know, against Dallas. They struggled. And Dallas had a decent season, but they weren't the best team in the bunch. But you have to remember, you know, think about they just played a game a few days ago. They had very little rest. They have to fly to Texas that morning, and then they have to get ready to play a game. And then that kind of boiled over into the Montreal game, which was the only loss at home, which, let's face it, there was some questionable refereeing decisions in that game. And I think a lot of people agreed to that. Cincinnati had a similar situation. storyline as well but at the same time the crew just didn't play well those games they were just bad performances but two key games at that back s- stretch of the year that were vital to putting the crew back into a positive mindset and the fact that they were able to win these games the way that they did was very impressive you know you don't win four in a row with a loss at home to Montreal a really conf- you know kill your confidence depleting loss to your rivals at Nippert team that you've been dominating for the last couple MLS matches, you know, that's a loss where people are like, wow, I can't believe the crew lost to Cincinnati. But they came back 3-1 win against New York City. Huge performance. Our tour scored. Aiden Morris started and played very well, and that was a key game for them. But then after that, they go back on the road. Terrible performance against Houston. In my opinion, their worst performance of the season in D.C. against D.C. United. They play the Supporters Shield leaders in Philly. On national television, in the snow, in the wind, in Columbus, two-one victory. Thanks to a great cross from Diaz, Namath Tappan, his one key contribution to the crew um, in that season when he was signed on in the middle of the year. So and and that just showed how well that how well they played at home. Because when they were at home, even with guys out, with subs in, whatever the consequences were, whoever they played, they always came to perform. And yeah. I uh, Pat raises hand. I want to hear
1: what he has to say. Well, I just, and, and we talked about this a lot already throughout the year, but I think the, the importance of, of Lucas Zellerion and Darlington Nagby for this team. And obviously you saw in, in MLS cup, the importance of Zellerion, but, mm, yeah. and, and just how good that guy is and and probably needs more respect than he's getting um, from a league wide perspective. But missing those guys during that stretch, you know, because not only did that take out two of your best players in very key positions, but it, it killed your depth. You know, you right. now it did, it did open up the, the Aiden Morris, which obviously was, was great down the road. Um, but, you know, in MLS, you can't have a number 10 backup really. Like, it's just, it's so hard to do because you can't pay these guys, you know, it's a salary cap league and, and whatnot, um, you can't pay for a, a, a good number 10. I mean, you know, you look throughout the crew's history. It just doesn't happen. Uh, you know, Eduardo Sosa type of guy is, is, is about as good as you get. And most teams in the league, if you lose guys like that, you're done. And the crew found a way, you know, the, the, rotter, the waters were rocky, but they found a way to get through it, you know. Or you, you brought up the Dallas game. Uh, they find a way to come back in that game. And and that's the game Eli Room gets hurt in has to come out of the game. So another key guy out. And there were a couple of games where like just just get points, just get points. Let's let's manage this situation. Um, you know, yeah. Did they go from from first to third in the Eastern Conference? Yes, but they still felt, and I know this, like they still felt very good about where they were, knowing that they were going to get these guys back, and uh, you know. the the, the important guys back ready to play
0: yeah and you know what this this stretch of the season really does is it makes crew dig into that depth and figure out all right who do we have to fill what roles here because let's be honest had darlington nagby not missed any time in the season there's a very good chance because we saw aiden morris wasn't the first uh replacement in that position I think, you know, we saw Fatai Alashe, we saw Sebastian Burhalter. So had we not lost Darlington Nagby during that stretch of the season, but we did lose him for the MLS Cup, would Columbus have went straight to Aiden Morris? The, the answer is probably no. So this stretch of the season makes us dig in and figure out, okay, well, you know, like I, we saw at the beginning of the season, we thought it's the winger position is going to be a battle between Eunice Mokhtar and Luis Diaz. And then we see that become Luis Diaz and, Derek Ethian Jr., or we saw uh, Emmanuel Boateng even get some starts through this stretch of the season. We see Columbus toying around with, okay, what pieces do we have to fit in here? They, ha- they have to go to this plug-and-play style of, well, that didn't work out. Uh, Sebastian's not working out right now, so let's try out Aiden Morris. We, we saw them switch between uh, Buba and, and Josh Williams in the defense when the defense wasn't as stout as they were at first, so. It's almost like it was just preparation for what was to come in MLS Cup. Uh, We we saw a lot of injuries, but we didn't see a whole lot of COVID until right when it mattered the most. And that's the the final phase of the season. It's the playoffs. It's the Columbus Crews playoff run where I I said on the podcast, it's almost like the seas parted and this pathway to the Cup just – just became so evident and clear that it was just ordained it was destiny that columbus wins this mls cup you think okay we we're gonna have to win a road match is it gonna be against philly is it gonna be against toronto is it gonna be against or Orla- i think orlando was the one team it wouldn't have been on the road against but we're gonna have to win a road match who's it gonna be and then it just the soccer gods are like no don't worry about this you stay right here, Mobfrey, you locked out the fort. We got you. And and that's what I talked about on the pod at one point. I said I said it almost seems like the soccer gods gave us this path where they parted the waters and they're like, "Here's the cup, it's yours." Just to be like, "Haha, trick you. I'm taking away Darlington Nagy, and Luke uh, and uh, and Pedro Santos for the cup." So, we, we go into the playoffs and and Columbus ends the season the way they started the season with just allowing zero goals. Just a a Terrific defensive performance. That's relying on uh, Andrew Tarbell because we see now Patrick. You might be able to help me here. I don't remember 100% who which ones we've confirmed had COVID. The assumption can be made: Eloy Room gets COVID, Derek Etienne Jr. gets COVID, and then we know Darlington Nagbe and Pedro Santos get COVID for the Cup. So, going we we hit the playoffs. We hit that stretch. And then that is when, for the first time, I don't believe we had any positive cases up until the playoffs,
1: did we, Patrick? They had the one in at MLS's back like very early on, um, and then the the staff members, but yeah, other than that, no
0: right, so so like I said, it's almost it's almost like the injuries and, and everything that we face throughout the middle of the season and the rocky point of the season it it sets crew up for the playoff run where their depth is tested again with positive COVID tests. So we, we go into the cup and, and we talked about last week, we talked about the next man up award where we ended up uh, it was ended up given to Andrew Tarbell for being the, the best replacement for an injury or, or someone having to miss this season. Uh, and the, the conversation was really heated between was whether it was Tarbell or Josh Williams, but through the playoffs, you also have names. Like, I mean, we didn't have Darlington Nagby in the MLS cup and, Aiden Morris, more than a, more than a suitable fill-in for that. Uh, Derek, G. Yeah. Just, kid, kid just can do it. Goes and after a, it. A completely different play style than Darlington Nagby, but it, it works and it's exciting. And I mean, that's the thing with Aiden Morris. Every time he's on the pitch, you're like, all right, Aiden Morris wants to win this match. Uh, you never see quit in Aiden Morris. You never see a, a, a second or... You never see a first or second gear. He's in third gear. He never
2: wants to lose the ball. Right. It goes deep, th- deeper than that. Like, if he loses possession, forget about it. He's going to chase the guy that has the ball for, like, the next 20 minutes. And that's what you need. That's the tenacity you need when you're playing in the midfield. You don't you you want
1: the ball. If you lose it, give me the damn ball back. And that's yeah, the way you, he plays. If you can't be Darlington Mag- Magby and just – don't give the ball up. You might as well just go get it back when you do give it up. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so we could do deep dives into any one game, but the whole purpose of this podcast is we do that every single match after the match, we deep dive into the match. So we've deep dived into every playoff game. We, we did a deep dive into MLS cup last week. We did a deep dive into who was the best in each position. The the main thing I want to talk about is the depth being tested midway through the season. And then, how that prepared Columbus for MLS cup where right before the match, I want to tell you a little story. I, I was trying real hard to get tickets to the MLS cup. I, I was a little leery of it because yes, obviously were. We're in a, I,
1: I, I can attest to you trying very hard. Lori, since you're here, I'm
0: going to be honest. I did. I did uh, threaten to take you out and uh, take he your did. He was,
1: he was gonna, he was going to take you out of the lineup and uh, take your credential. <laughs> okay. I told, uh, I, told him, I told him he'd have to find his way into your house to do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I was trying real hard to get a ticket. I managed to secure a ticket. I believe it was Wednesday afternoon. And I am on cloud nine. And then I believe it is Thursday morning that it is announced that uh, Pedro Santos and Darlington Nagby are going to miss the MLS Cup. And uh, less than 24 hours after getting the ticket, I'm sitting here thinking, Man, these are selling for a lot. I'm uh, I'm really considering uh, seeing what I can get out of this ticket because do I want to go be around 1,500 people just to watch Columbus lose? I was really – because we saw it, right? We saw when Darlington Agby wasn't on the pitch, Columbus weren't getting it done like they did when he was on the pitch. Uh, I think he missed eight matches, and if I – I'm trying to remember off of last week, but I think they went uh, three wins, three losses, two draws.
1: Two wins, I think.
0: Yeah, they, they had a hard time getting it done without yeah. Darlington Nagby. We didn't have to see what they couldn't get done without Pedro Santos, but I talked about last week on the pod, the longest stretch Pedro Santos went the entire season without contributing to a goal was three matches. No other midfielder came close to that. Lucas Salarone went a nine-match stretch without contributing to a goal. Pedro Santos was Mr. Consistency in the attacking half of the pitch, and Columbus were going into the MLS Cup, without arguably their most important piece of the offense and one of their most important pieces of the back half of the field. So I, I felt really bad going into the cup. I did not produ- predict that they would lose because every time I predicted they'd lose this season, they did. And I wasn't putting that juju on Columbus going into the MLS Cup. But uh, real talk, guys, I, I didn't think we were going to get it done. Uh, what about you guys going into the MLS Cup? with the announcement of who we were losing, uh, what did you think was going to happen?
1: Yeah, I'm on the same page as you are. Like I, I was not uh, optimistic for the crew's chances. Um, As we talked about the like build up to this was all about, you know, Darlington Magby and Lucas Celereon and and Pedro Santos. And, you know, these, these key names, and then you knock two of them out. And not only do you knock two of them out, but you lose Pedro Santos on a Tuesday. Okay, we've got to make adjustments here. We've got to figure out a winger thing. But you lose Darlington-Nagby on a Thursday, and then you have one day of practice to get ready without your best player, arguably, and you're starting a rookie. Right. Like, let's just think about that. I mean, like, like crew fans really, I think got how big of a deal Darlington Nagby was this year when he was out and you just take that guy out of the equation with one day of practice. So, no, I, I mean, like, you know, I, I said this on, on our other pod, whatever you want to call our other podcast. <laughs> um, and, uh, I said, you know, that I, the people that I talked to after it happened, after it was announced that, that Nagby was, was not going to play, uh, and, and Pedro, I mean, those two together. Like, I think it was actually the, the emergency podcast that Ori and I yeah, did. Yeah, it happened.
2: Ralph. I lit
1: my Hanukkah candles. Yeah, I was trying to watch the damn Rams game. And Found
2: out was- that Dagby and Santos were both out. And then we jumped on a pod, me, Pat, and Ralph at yeah. like 10
1: p.m. <laughs> yeah, but I, like, I had a text message from somebody that said devastating. But I also had some text message from somebody that was like, if there's a team that can do it, it's us. Right. And like, you know, that I think that speaks volumes to like how big of a loss it was, but also the confidence the team had, I didn't have the same confidence. I thought Seattle was going to run train on them. And uh, you know, I was wrong, but I thought, you know, you can't lose those two guys and and that quickly before a game and, and you know, have the, have the desired effect or I, I mean, I think we're on a similar similar footing here, but but your thoughts. I I was in the middle. I didn't think it was immediate. Oh,
2: Nagby and Santos are out. It's over. I didn't think that. I still thought they could win the game. I thought if I thought the way they were gonna win was gonna be close. It's gonna be a gritty match. Maybe get a goal in the last minute, penalty shootout, because you know, we've seen Seattle be the team they are for the last 5 6 MLS seasons, be contender I'm on the road. But this year is weird. So that's the thing. First of all, all the all the chips that Columbus needed to fall for them in the Eastern Conference playoffs fell for them.
1: Right? Yeah, can we they, talk about this for a second? Yeah. Like just the way that that and, and and this was the same in 2015 when they were I think they were the number two seed in the east but I think there were more teams in the west that had to lose I think Portland was tied on them with points but they had the wins tiebreaker I don't remember exactly but it was but Portland was like the third seed in the the west and they got that like and that was another thing I thought about going into that game was like you know they had everything fall for them, but they also had everything fall for them in 2015 and just couldn't get it done.
2: Yeah, but and they had a balance. Everything fell for them from a matchup standpoint, from from a personnel standpoint. Yeah. With COVID, oh, yeah, yeah. it just hit like a brick. You know, you, you beat the, the Red Bulls in front of an empty crowd, three to two, pretty exciting game. Then they go up again. I mean, everybody's thinking, all right, it's going to be Toronto. They're going to have to go back to East Hartford, Connecticut to play an MLS playoff game. And then Nashville beats him. And then seven guys are out all of a sudden. And you have guys step in. While Tarbell, you know, I thought he was fantastic in that. The fact that he was – was able to command his back line so well having, you know, not been the starter for them with room as the primary keeper. I thought he did a great job from a leadership perspective. And that guy has so much confidence when he comes off his line, Austin FC are going to have a solid starting goaltender in their inaugural season in MLS and with Hector Jimenez as well in a fullback slot. So, but I thought one of the guys in the Nashville game was definitely a big, important match for him. Luis Diaz, Luis Diaz had to step in and one thing that Luis Diaz was doing throughout the course of the regular season, he loved to shoot. Any angle, he just shot the damn ball. He wanted to score. He Phenomenal speed. The guy has, you know, just got, he's one of the fastest guys in the league. And he can just run by any fullback, run, any Luis, winger. Run. Yeah, run, Luis, run. That's all Caleb Porter tells him. And he crosses first time. He shoots first time. But in the playoffs, we saw him do that but also he was more composed with himself. He was making better mental decisions, and he did that so well in the playoffs. I thought he was one of the most underrated performers in the playoffs for the crew. Every game that he stepped in, he played really well. you know. But they beat Nashville, and then after the Nashville win an extra well, time, it's real like... Real quick, talking yeah.
0: about Nashville, Luis Diaz, that was one of those matches where you talk about Columbus Crew next man up. Luis Diaz wasn't supposed to start that match. That was Derek Etienne Jr.'s spot, and yeah. Derek Etienne Jr. went out, and that was... Um, Luis Diaz came back. It was really funny because I felt like Luis Diaz re-earned his start. Right. While Derek Etienne was out. Now,
2: now there's definitely a discussion for the 2021. Who Who is the starting 11 for the crew going into 2021? You have choices at wing with Diaz and Etienne and Santos and Zelleray You know, we'll see if they sign anybody else who is a potential winger.
1: Well, I think that Nashville game was interesting on a few levels because I think that was like a – you know, you go back to kind of the national perspective of people watching the crew. Like, Nashville was the, like, feel-good Cinderella story, right? And that was the defensive team. Like, how does Columbus break this team down? You know, that type of game. And, you know, I think that was the game when it was like, all right. I mean, obviously, what happened at that round opened, as as you said, Andrew, parted the seas for the crew to, to host. And, you know, it, the path was there from there on out. But okay. um, just – You know, that was probably – like, New England was obviously very good and, you know, they were scoring goals galore in the playoffs, but I felt more confident in the Crows' defense just because of how, you know, they played throughout the year. It was, okay, can you you score on a team that's going to be very sound defensively? And they answered that against Nashville, which I think was needed, especially going into a Seattle team that was sound defensively as well. Well, and who would
0: have thought that – Nashville would have put up more of a fight than Seattle. Uh, you know, you look at the playoffs and, and realistically, I think Nashville is crew's toughest fight throughout the playoffs. Yeah. That's and- the one match that goes into extra time.
2: And that's the thing about MLS cup that I think crew fans should hold on to. You know, the story is obviously amazing. You know, the team was just saved two years ago. They win a championship with new owners or second year head coach and all that kind of stuff. But it's the fact that it wasn't like the game was close. It wasn't like they won on a last ditch effort, you know, game winning penalty kick, you know, the kind of ways that you see maybe, you know, the Patriots win all their Super Bowls by winning by like one score Thanks,
1: outside, sorry. outside, nice, of, the, nice outside of the, outside, outside, outside nice of the Rams me. game.
2: I'm sorry. Outside of the
1: Rams. Well, there game. was, there was the Rams game that started at all, but you were probably four months old at that point Four? No, I was
0: five. I remember that Rams game. I remember
1: that first
2: thing. one,
0: the,
1: the second, the
2: second one, I fell asleep.
0: I think that Rams game, I was in sixth grade. And I remember everybody talking about the Patriots being the underdog. And I think that was the last time I ever heard the term Patriots as the underdog. So
2: right. Until this but, year. until Yeah. Right. But that, but they, they destroyed the Sounders. It wasn't even close. And I think that's something that Columbus fans and crew fans probably have so much pride in, you know, the fact, not just winning MLS cup, Beating the defending champs like the way they did without two key starters. Columbus was controlling that game from the first minute onward. Like, sure, in the second half, they were absorbing a lot of pressure. That's bound to happen. And Seattle was pushing forward. It's not like the Sounders had any real good, clear cut chances, though. Mensa was making blocks. Milton Valenzuela was doing everything in his position, and he had a phenomenal game. Aiden Morris had Ladero in his pocket you know, they were doing everything right in that game. And they played with the heart and the determination and what they've been doing at home. You know, they were able to end the season with five straight games at home. They got to stay in Columbus after going to Orlando city, seeing Nani get a red and then losing that game from November 8th till December 12th, they got to stay home, which is incredibly important for them, especially in a COVID year. Like obviously from, infection perspective they got infected and people got covid but from a playing perspective and for how well they were at home the fact that they weren't they didn't even have to take a bus a plane ride for more than a month right. helped them a lot and, well, they and destroyed
0: seattle huge and way. patrick talks about those those hard-fought points the draws the the matches that weren't necessarily feel good matches but we we got a point out of it is the point-per-game difference between Seattle and Columbus, which is how they decided who hosted the cup this year. 0.01 point is what decided whether or not Columbus went on the road or stayed home in this MLS Cup. And I think we could all agree if they went on the road, it could have been a very different story. So not only were we able to host at home, Columbus was able to host at home in Montfrey Stadium, the last ever postseason game played in Montfrey Stadium. It was as poetic as poetic can be. And I'm not gonna get into every everything on the match. We've talked about the match ad nauseum. I'm sure that you guys have talked about this match ad nauseum. So Columbus went three to nothing, largest scoreline in MLS Cup history. They do it without uh, Darlington Nagby, without Pedro Santos. Just a commanding, commanding victory. Uh I want to talk about what, what that means to you, though. Uh, both of you guys. I, Ori, I don't know your background as a, how, how, as a Columbus Crew fan or Columbus Crew supporter. I know this is your first year into covering them. Same with me. But uh, how, how long have you been a, a Crew supporter?
2: So I was born in Columbus. Okay. I was born at the Ohio State Hospital on May 12, 1996. Were you were
0: you after- coddled and wrapped up and swaddled in a little black and gold blankie? Was a-
2: no, not, not <laughs> swaddled in black and gold. I mean, I mean, yeah, I was born a month after they
1: played their first ever game at the Shoe, and yeah, think about that, Andrew. Ori didn't live in a world where the crew didn't exist. That's yep bonkers. They, oh, yeah, the the right?
2: the crew is um like a month older than me. That's it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> my whole life, the Columbus Crew have existed, and Major League Soccer has been a thing. It but like like
1: drink before Ori could buy alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I, know, I, just, I think that's important go. to point
2: out. Yeah. But um, so, you know, my, my dad grew up uh, in Israel. So he was big into soccer. He raised me and my brother, you know, as, as soccer lovers. I've been playing since I was three. And, you know, I love all sports, but soccer is my first love in, in right. terms of sport. It's going to be my favorite sport for my entire life. I just love, you know, the, the simplicity of the game. I love what it brings to the world. The world cup is my all time favorite sporting event. And, you know, as a professional sports fan living in Columbus, Ohio, there weren't many opportunities to go watch professional sports. You know, when I was born, it was essentially the crew, the Columbus Clippers minor league baseball and the blue jackets didn't even exist. The blue jackets didn't exist until 2000. So it was pretty much just the crew go watch the crew. So I would go to crew games all the time. I went to Columbus crew stadium. I remember Robert Varzeha. I love the way the PA announcer said that, or like banging my foot on corner kicks, Aquafina machines, and everything. Like, <laughs> I, there's all these memories that I have, you know, going to see Edson Buttle at the Easton Town Center, uh, watching a US qualification game. Uh, that was a great experience, you know, going with my cousin's family. You know, it, I grew up with the team and I wasn't able to be as connected with the team when I went to school. Cause I was in Illinois, it's harder to watch MLS games, you know, being a college student, you're very preoccupied with that. But I still distinctly remember when I saw Grant Wall's tweet and saw the news about the team potentially moving. And, you know, there was a part of me that was crushed. And I remember just seeing everything about save the crew and, and all that and watching the final in Illinois and everybody thought I was a crazy person. Cause I was pacing around the place and losing my mm-hmm. mind, but you know, I've had a connection with this team my whole life, and it's only fitting that, you know, from a professional standpoint, post college, trying to you know get into the journalism world, being a sports journalist, that this is the first team that I'm really covering from a professional standpoint, and it, I couldn't have asked for more from a first season to be perfectly. I covered ten games, they won all ten of them, and MLS Cup Championship. It was definitely the highlight of 2020, and. You know, to see that in front of my eyes, I mean, that's something that I will tell my kids, my grandkids, when I will eventually have kids and grandkids and, you know, looking forward to another season for sure. And seeing the new stadium, seeing how this team does with multiple competitions, CONCACAF Champions League, it's too bad we don't get to hear the, uh, you know, we get to hear the Hans Zimmer theme when they come out for MLS games, but it's too bad we're not going to hear the UEFA Champions League theme when they come out of the tunnel, you know, that epic song.
1: Play. The yeah, the
2: champion. You know, they don't have, they don't have that for CONCACAF champions league, you know, with the domination of Mexican teams, they might as well just play the Mexican national anthem, but it's, um, it's been a hell of a year. and We'll
0: have to, we'll have to get I'm, everybody from massive report together to sing when they come out. Of the yeah, house.
2: there you go. That's, that's how we need to open up the podcast before the first CONCACAF champions league game, which will be against a team from central America or the Caribbean uh, for sure for the round of 16, but what a year. Yeah, very thankful to be with the Massive Report team. And I'm so grateful that, you know, Pat, Patrick, Sam, you know, Brian, Alex, you, Andrew, and everybody else welcome me with open arms. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity. And I can't wait to do more. Next year is going to be really exciting.
0: Absolutely. And before I get to Patrick, because Patrick, you have a different perspective. Also, I want to talk about the Mafra Stadium journey for me. Uh, I went to my first... My first game at Mop when I was in fifth grade, I don't even know how many years ago that was by now. And I remember just being in all of Mop Stadium. I had been to Cleveland Indians games. I had I'd been to uh, various sports games, but that was the first time I was in a soccer stadium. And, and that was the first time experiencing a live soccer match. And I remember how special it was to me. And I remember it was Crew Stadium at the time, obviously, and I remember how special Crew Stadium was to me. And then I didn't go to a match for a very long stretch. I, I can't give exact dates, but I remember in the Anthony Precourt days taking my wife to a Crew game and being embarrassed of the stadium I walked into. It was a dump. Uh, the bathrooms were falling apart. The stadium itself was embarrassing. And I remember thinking, like, I, the all I had going into that place for the first time compared to how I felt going into that place uh, when, I, when I brought my wife to it. Then the Haslam's, by, the, the Haslam's and Edwards by the team. And we see the amount of work that was put in to Montprey Stadium on the way out of Montfrey Stadium. And I, that's something I think doesn't get enough attention and is commendable. They fixed that stadium up for, as they were transitioning out of that stadium. And then I remember this season going to that stadium, being impressed by the improvements we had seen in that stadium up to this point. And then it just really hitting me in the Atlanta match, which I thought would be the last time I was in Mopfrey stadium this year. And then going to the MLS cup where I was in Montfrey stadium for the last time this year, watching Columbus win the cup and feeling like I almost didn't want to leave the stadium after that match. I don't know how you guys felt. I wanted to just stay there and soak that. I'm actually
1: in. still sitting in the stadium, <laughs> but I'm still, I'm still here. Is that I'm why it's having... so dark there? Yeah.
0: It was Patrick. I know you, uh you're somebody who I've, I've joked around a lot about how I'm going to get you to show emotion. One of these days you're, you're a very pragmatic, very uh by the books, factual person, but man, you've called Montfrey stadium or crew stadium an office almost for a while now, you know, it's a workplace for you, but how, how does it feel to know that the last ever postseason match was an MLS cup? And, and if, if you have a motion to give to me, Patrick, <laughs> you should have d- seen
2: him when he had his COVID beard, the amount of emotion he was
1: giving us. Oh man,
2: that was a good time.
1: <laughs> Look, how- uh, the, the, before MLS Cup – or before Moffrey Stadium, sorry, was, was was an office, as you put it, Andrew. Like, I was there as a fan. Um, we, you know, like – I mean, I, I went to games at Ohio Stadium as as a young kid before Ori was born. Um, not really, but before Ori was old enough to walk. Um, but uh, the – I remember – going into Moffre stadium for that first game, uh, there. And like looking back on it, I probably didn't appreciate what I was experiencing at the time, but like that was one of the coolest experiences, like retrospectively of, of my life was like a soccer specific stadium in the United States. That wasn't a thing. Like as a kid, like, I didn't really know that. Like I knew it, it was told to me. Uh, but I, I didn't, Grasp it entirely, but looking back on it, I did, or I do. Um, and then the the experience of going to crew games, like that, was something that my dad and I did a lot of. Um, and so, my dad, uh, you want a motion here? My dad passed away uh, when in in two thousand eight, um, and in like. Mm, may of 2008 Mm -hmm. and then the crew obviously went on that run and won mls cup and like that was like that part of the reason i like had to be in la and even like i had no i was in college that was my freshman year of well it was going into my sophomore year of college uh was like i had to go because like I knew he wanted me to go. Like I, I had to be there for this. Like i I'd, I'd gone through the whole season, like essentially dedicating everything to, to him. Um, and like that, that game against Chicago at Moffray was that, that Eastern conference final will forever be the the, the, the greatest soccer game I've ever seen. And like, Last year I got to go to a Manchester United game at Old Trafford and that was fantastic. We sat three rows up from the field. Uh, you know, it was, it was awesome, but that Eastern conference final game, just like with everything that happened, the way it played out, uh, you know, Chad Marshall and Brian McBride, those things, um, you know, was crazy. So before this, before, before the new England game, I guess I went to where my dad and I sat, uh, just to, you know, it was like, this may be the last time I'm here. Uh, and so I went and, like, took a picture, sent it to my mom, and, uh, you know, just felt like I needed that moment. Um, I didn't do it before MLS Cup because I didn't get there as early, and there, you know, obviously people were already starting to come in and things like that. But um, so Moffrey Stadium will forever be a very special place to me not only from the press box covering the team side of things, but from, you know, this, this was the sport I grew up with. Like Ori said, like soccer, I, you know, I love all sports. I cover multiple sports, but you know, soccer is, is the big deal for me and the experience of kind of growing up in that stadium uh, is, is, is pretty special. And, uh, you know, before the new England game again, um, on the SB nation, uh, new England site, the bent Mus- bent muck musket, excuse me. Um, they did a, a really cool like Moffray stadium, crew stadium retrospective of like people that were at the first game and, and things like that. And talking to the guy who, who wrote the story for the story, um, like really made me like reflect on this fact of like, yeah, it was, this is a big part of history. You know, I think, I don't, I I don't know if like it's, it's grasped with crew fans, like looking back, you know, let's say 50 years down the road when ideally soccer is, you know, become one of the major, major sports in this country, like Mafre stadium crew stadium is going to be like, a shrine of, you know, like, I mean, like a Yankee stadium vibe. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it won't be, it should what, be a
2: cathedral.
1: Yeah. And like, obviously it won't be what it is. Cause it's going to be the practice facility and whatnot. But like the fact that this team in Columbus, like just, just built the first soccer specific stadium, you know, and it, it wasn't great. It's, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, it looks like a connects set of, of <laughs> stuff. And like, you know, a a Texas high school football stadium, a big Texas high school football stadium, but like this got it started. And, you know, RIP to Lamar Hunt who got it done. Um, And, you know, it's, it it will always have a very special place in my heart. It was very, very cool to see the, you know, it won't be the last game, but like kind of the ending of Moffre stadium be what it was with, with that game. Yeah, it was
0: incredible. Uh, I I stopped on the way out of the stadium, right next to the scoreboard, as it said MLS Cup champions on it. I took a picture of that because that scoreboard, you know, it's iconic for Crew fans. Everything about that night. I, I talked about how I thought we were going to lose the match going into it. When I got to Mopfrey, and I walked in, everything felt different. It felt special. It, it was just, I mean, it was. Who could have asked for a better ending to this story for Mopfray Stadium and uh, Crew Stadium? I hate, I hate calling it Mopfray Stadium. I do. I just want a they eh, don't. I, yeah. So what a what a poetic podcast. End for,
1: call whatever the hell you want.
0: What a poetic end for Crew Stadium. And uh, like I said, I didn't want to leave the stadium. It was just so special and so perfect being there. But you know, it is kind of cool. I, I almost. I was so excited and I think this is kind of the journey a lot of crew fans have been on that I've noticed on Twitter and and not a lot of people could go to the stadium this year but I noticed a lot of people having the same kind of journey where we're all so excited about the new stadium and then you go to a crew match and you're like wait I don't I don't want to not come back to Montfre I love this place I love being here Um, but it is cool you talk about we're the first city in, in America to have a soccer specific stadium well now we are the first stadium or the first city in America to have two soccer specific stadiums. So still a big deal, still leading the pack, still, you know, Columbus on the, on the front foot. I wanted to talk about um, off season stuff, but we have gone a real, real, real long time, gentlemen. So I think, I think uh, we'll, we'll touch on it, but I don't think we'll, we'll do too much of a deep dive. But before, before we move on to off season, this season, uh, just, just as a review, as a whole, we gave, we did some crazy awards last week. We gave out some, some positions. Uh, we talked about our best defender, our best midfielder, our best striker, which you guys will never believe who won that one. And we talked about our, <laughs> our best, best player of the year. was funny. <laughs> so we talked about our best, best player of the year. The winner of the award, uh, how we did it is Patrick Goldan got a vote. Adam Miller got a vote. I got a vote and the fans got a vote. All right, so Adam Miller voted Lucas Zalarean. I voted Pedro Santos. The fans and Patrick Goldan voted Jonathan Mensa. So he won our best, best player of the year. Before we move on to the postseason, I want to know if you had to pick one player who was just key to getting it done, our best, best player, as I call it for the podcast. Ori, who is your best, best player of the year? See... I mean,
2: obviously, remembering how Zellerion performed in MLS Cup, being that the freshest memory, you know, that's who you think of. But when I look at one player who led the team, was the most consistent all year, played every minute of every single game, it has to be Jonathan Mensah because he was the most consistent player for the crew all year because there were periods where Zellerion was out or... You know, wasn't contributing in terms of assists or goals. He was still playing very well. But Jonathan Mensah had an unbelievable season. Unbelievable season. He was a stalwart in the back line. He was the leader of the team in the locker room. And, you know, from a mentality, a spiritual perspective, he was helping these guys get through this tough year as well. And he himself was dealing with his own. You know hardships. I mean, he didn't see his wife for what ten months. Yeah, you know, and I, I can't imagine. I don't
1: think a lot of people knew like that wasn't a thing that was publicized a lot until towards the end of the season, right? So, like, quick. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, you're good. Quick backstory: like, she's not a U.S. citizen. Obviously, he is here because of the work visa. Uh, at this, I mean, obviously at this point, he's, he's been here several years now, but um she was going to move. Like they had everything set up for her to move here at the start of the season. Like he left Ghana, came back. Um, and she was going to come in, I want to say like April, May, if, if I have the story correct. And then COVID happened and that completely killed that whole situation. And so, yeah, I mean, And he told us, I think it was after MLS cup or correct me if I'm wrong, but he said that she told him before the season, like, you know, go, go, basically go, go over there, do what you need to do, go win. And then, yeah. And then, you know, everything happened and, you know, she has been super supportive. Um, There've been videos from her to him. Uh, She gave him, she was part of the video that the team gave to him about him winning defender of the year uh, you know and, and uh, making
2: best 11 or best 11 you're right you're right, right they picked walker
1: zimmerman sorry yes you're you are right uh or no he did yeah no you're right that's how that's how it worked out but yeah. um the yeah i mean like let's hope for jonathan's sake that she gets over here uh just you know i can't imagine especially a year like this going through that but anyway continue with what you're saying where i just wanted yes. to make sure that story was out there
2: Right, no, I mean Jonathan Mensah, best player for the crew in 2020. You know, Zelarayan was, you know, had the flashy moments with the great goals and the great assists, but full full season, and it's unfortunate that soccer is a sport where, or really with any sport, you know, you think about the players that score because that those are the highlight moments, but defensively, he was where he needed to be almost every single play of the season, and. He was, you know, he was a pleasure to talk to on Zoom as well, and he kept a positive mentality throughout the season. He earned his contract extension in the middle of the year. He promised all he the he owes journalists. us cake. He owes us cake. I mean. Brand got to eat his red velvet on on video with uh, Neil and Jordan, but we still need our cake from him. So. This, is,
1: this is what we don't get by, by being – I said like relationships. Yeah. I really just meant we didn't get cake from Jonathan Mensah. Yeah, so
2: I, I want a cake, Jonathan. When we finally meet in person, if you're listening, please, I want my cake. But no, Mensah Player of the Year, easy. What about you,
0: Patrick? I, I Like I said, I gave it to Pedro Santos. I almost did that because I knew nobody else would. And I wanted to state the case why I thought Pedro was so key for the crew this year.
1: Uh, who did you think if you, if you couldn't replace one player, who would it be? I mean, I think both of those are, are great answers and it's hard to argue with either of them. So just to, to kind of give a different flavor, uh, I'm going to go with Josh Williams. Uh, I think, you know, similarly defensive with, with the things Ori pointed out about how the crew did defensively. Um, but let's remember like Vito Warmhor was brought in here to be the starting center back. And I wrote about this before MLS cup, but, you know, Josh knew he was going to be a backup again and didn't care. I mean, you know, if, if, you know, go back and read my article, shameless plug for, for us, but um, you know, he talks about that, you know, you just have to kind of be ready and you have to lead. And, you know, it, it, he was a big factor in leading the kids specifically Sebastian and Aiden and like just telling them like, look, when the opportunity knocks, you've got to be ready. And like, you, you have to earn this in MLS. You don't just, it's not just given to everyone. And um, you know, so I think what he did on the field, stepping in and being, you know, a a very good center back this year in MLS, having the best year of his 10 year career, probably uh, not, not probably definitely. Definitely. Um, And then just, the way he leads, I mean, he's always done this, but like, you know, Aiden Morris doesn't play the way he does in an MLS Cup final if Josh Williams isn't on that team. I'm telling you that right now. Like, Jonathan may be the captain, and Jonathan is a great captain and deserves the accolades. And I completely support everything Ori said about him. But Josh Williams, in my mind, is like the most important guy from a locker room on field. And even if he didn't play this year, you know, he'll still be very important next year right. just, you know, if Vito is healthy and ready to go. And on top of that, there may be nobody who is more excited about the crew winning MLS Cup than Josh Williams. You know, I was
0: I – was actually, that was my next thing I was going to talk about. I've talked about it being poetic that the team won the Cup, obviously, after Save the Crew. And this is – I think we all agree we're done talking about Save the Crew now. The cup was kind of the final chapter. We've moved <laughs> That's on. What you think. I think Thomas Costello <laughs> Thomas Costello said we leveled up. As far as me and my group of homies are concerned, save the cruise a, a dead topic. We're done talking right. about it. And then we talk about the poetic semblance of a Mopfrey Stadium winning mm-hmm. the cup in the last ever postseason game. Something I briefly mentioned is the poetic part of Josh Williams being there and starting that cup in a match. Again, the next man up, somebody who wasn't supposed to be the starter in that role this season, and he's able to be there, able to start that match, able to win an MLS Cup as a starter. Like you said, I don't think it meant as much to any player as it did Josh Williams. Yeah. no, it definitely. Oh, go ahead, Ori. I'll.
2: Fail. I was gonna. I was gonna say my quick Josh Williams story because I thought it was a fun. <laughs> it was a funny moment in Zoom. Is the first time uh, I think we had Josh on a Zoom call, you know, for pre-match stuff. Because sometimes we got, you know, Josh or Jonathan, you know, after a game. Because we usually get two players after a game, and we'll get two players before. But this is the first time we had Josh after training, and it was the the day after the Yankees and the Indians had just played a truly epic game two in their uh, American League first-round matchup in the MLB. Just so Yankees. we're clear,
1: Ori is a big Yankees fan. Big Yankee fan. And Josh will clear. Josh so Williams is a
2: – Yeah, so everyone hates me. Well, Pat is sitting here with his Manchester United shirt. But, hey, I'm wearing – What are Liverpool. you wearing? Liverpool. We're the winners. I just support all well, – but the Yankees don't win. Anyways, and Josh is a big <laughs> big Cleveland Indians fan. I can go put my Lakers named, stuff on. Oh, yeah, good for you. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, he's a big Cleveland Indians fan, soon to be named a different baseball team. But – you know, I remember uh, Jacob Myers at the Columbus Dispatch was asking, you know, was telling Josh about, uh, you know, sorry about the tribe last night. It was a tough game, and I had my hand raised, and I just had to. I went, you know, off camera, grabbed my Yankees hat, put it on before I asked my question, and then Josh was like, I don't know if I want to take this question from you, man. I'm like, <laughs> hey, we went through the same experience that night. You know, it was a, it was a good game, hell of a fight, but, yeah, go Yankees, so – That's my, that's my first interaction with Josh Williams. So he'll forever think of me maybe as ugh this Yankees fan. Well, (laughs) Ori,
1: you're going to, you're going to learn in the next year or so. And crew fans who have ever interacted with Josh realize like, that's just a good dude. Um, And I mean, you know, take the soccer side of it out. You know, I mean, Andrew sorry to bring save the crew back up again but I said we're done
0: talking about it
1: well this is relevant uh you know he was one of the most and and for obvious reasons an Ohio guy right one of the most involved with that and I, I know obviously the people that that really were were fundamental in the save the crew movement um from a fan standpoint like obviously he he celebrated with them and and had just has continued to to support those guys, but um, I mean at again, going back to when we were allowed at practice, guys like him uh, Hector, who I know people will now be disappointed that he's going to Austin, but like those were guys that were constantly asking, will obviously were constantly like, what are you hearing? what's the latest like you know they wanted to know because they they care about this team and I and Josh you know, is J- Josh wasn't going to go to Austin. Like That wasn't, that literally wasn't happening. Like he wouldn't, he would null and void that contract from my understanding, if, if, if that were the case and to see the guy go through that. And, you know, obviously he dealt with, you know, being overlooked on this depth chart, them bringing in a guy like Vito who he admitted, you know, I believe the quote was like, that dude's a baller right? is what he said. And like, you know, he knew, and he, he knew that that would, that was the best thing for the team to just, you know, be play second fiddle again. And uh, you know, to do that, then step into the lineup and then, you know, play the way he did this season. Um, Obviously he was suspended for a little while. He, I know had other personal issues that he dealt with during the season. And you know, he, he played a hell of a year and I, you know, this cup – and I, I, I wasn't on the call the other day. The Zoom with crew fans, they had to, like, celebrate the the championship or whatever a couple days ago. But my understanding is that Josh gave a, a pretty passionate speech or something that, you know, that guy's going to celebrate and he deserves to celebrate.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you talk about Josh Williams being a good dude. And I think it's cliche. It's that I can't help falling in love with crew, right? I think that's part of what makes the crew such a lovable team. There's so much to, I mean, you, you talk about save the crew and, and that endears this team to a lot of people. But the when you look at the roster and you look at the players, as somebody who's never had uh, the relationship with the players that you've had, Patrick, I think you look at Columbus as just this lovable group of players. It, you don't see these big egos. You, I think the last... Big ego I could look at our team and say was like uh, Kai Kamara came across as someone who was kind of maybe the big ego player. But you look at this team, and it's a bunch of people who seem humble, who seem like hard workers, who aren't the Zlatan Ibrahimovics of the world. But Did you just up.
1: mispronounce Zlatan's name? Eh, whatever. Come so. on. <laughs> no, not whatever.
2: Zlatan will come and strike you down. He is yeah. Zlatan. You're putting Zlatan this out is-
1: on, on the internet. He will find it. I can no the it. internet. No, no. He,
2: the internet, Zlatan is the internet.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Zlatan is a prick right. is my point. Oh. And Columbus doesn't have those players that are pricks on their team. And I think that's a, uh, that's part of what makes the team so lovable. And that's part of check this transition out. What makes it so hard to say goodbye to players. And uh, we've had to say, Oh man, that was clean. But Hey,
2: 2021 BWPs in Columbus. Will we see Ian Wright in Nordeca for a game? I think we do.
1: <laughs> well, before real quick, Andrew, I just want to touch on that because I think you're you're very accurate on like what a good group of guys this is. Good, you know, like it's and that it, like the locker room aspect like, you know, you play FIFA, you play Football Manager, you play whatever sports game you want. You know, you get talent on a team, you win a championship. Like that that just seem but that's not how it works in real life, right? I okay. mean, you, you have to have chemistry. You have to have, you know, a lot of ingredients that go into winning a championship. You know, even we, we talked about how the, the seas parted for the crew, right. But you, st- it, it has to work, you know, Philly was the best team in MLS this year and they couldn't make it work for one reason or another. Right. Toronto, same thing, sporting Kansas city, the same, thing. you know, Seattle who have been there and done that. It, it just didn't work. And, this group of crew guys is, is they really like each other. They are committed to each other and, you know, don't that, that, that's such a special thing. And obviously from year, and I think this transitions into the next point is like, you know, it, it changes from year to year, but like that group, like, remember this group because it was a special group. And like every year I think that, that, that they're building this culture that you hope is sustainable and makes the team, you know, a a perennial champion, but this, this was a really, and, and Ori, I wish you would have been able to cover it a little bit more, but that you could see it happening last year. It was like this group rallied around being bad for lack of a better term. And, you know, like they really just liked each other. And I think that's been the case for a while, but like this, this team was, was unique in that way. And that's why they won. I I don't I don't know a better way to say it
0: right yeah and and it's if you see it in the way they're building the team it's not only about building talent it's about building culture and we we say goodbye to some some players this season and we bring in some other players throughout the off season I I think the biggest names in terms of who we're saying goodbye to right now it's uh, Hector Jimenez and Andrew Tarbell both going to Austin which bummer that that's where they're going but at the same time i'm all for andrew tarbell getting a starting gig wherever he gets a starting gig i think he earned it this year hector jimenez also i think uh just an mls veteran who can just plug and play perfect for an expansion team realistically where they're going to try to figure out positions for or who works best in what position and you got a guy like hector jimenez who can be a a goalkeeper or a striker, whatever you want. He's got it. He's no Eddie Gavin, but he's pretty good. <laughs> then we bring in, uh, Bradley Wright Phillips. And I, I, I used this in my, uh, my preseason article this year. I said, Columbus hasn't seen this kind of striking depth since the dual Camara days. I take it back in terms of Fernando Adi and I put it in this season with Jossie's artist. Well, don't in, give it away, BWP. Andrew. We
1: still have to write that s- story.
0: Well, I'm just <laughs> copy and pasting that paragraph, but I'm changing the name from Audi to VWP over and over again. So let's look at the uh, – that's, that's it really in terms of big offseason moves thus far. I mean, if you have any you want to mention, go ahead. I, I'm looking at – I say it's hard to say goodbye to certain people. We look at where do you think Columbus needs to fill that role? who do you think is is reaching the end of their tenure? And we might see like a position where we bring in Vito Warmhor to replace Josh Williams as a striker. I thought the number one area Columbus needed to improve their depth was a striker. You bring in BWP, we're covered, right? For me, the next area is pretty glaring, but I'm going to see where you guys go first. Or if you had to one signing, one big name where you could uh, uh, really bring in a new starter. And uh, push the current starter back into a mm. into a sub role. Where would that be?
2: Right now, I see the starting lineup pretty, pretty obvious. But I think more depth at fullback is crucial because they're going to be playing a lot more games in twenty twenty one, the Champions League and U S Open Cup. And you would hope that they could get deep runs in both of those competitions to go along with a longer MLS season. You know, the, they've played less games in 2020 with MLS's back regular season and playoffs than they would have played in a regular season. Right. 34, they played 28 in 2020. So, you know, right now, when you look at the current defenders on the roster, you have, in terms of fullbacks, Harrison off full at right back, Milton Valenzuela left back. There's still Chris Cadden. I mean, we are seeing some reports. There's some reports that Hibernian FC and Oxford United over in – in Scotland and England respectively are interested in Cadden. So whether he is signed and makes a move somewhere else, we don't know. We will have to see, but you know, even with Cadden in the roster, you really only have three current defenders in your roster that can play fullback because you have Mensah center back, Warmhor, center back Williams center back. Cada is a center back. I think he could do a job in a fullback position. And then Grant Lillard, we don't know much about because we haven't seen him play for the crew yet. So I think they need to address the fullback position. Get some more depth in that area. Have a guy that can step in and right or left back. Caden can do that, but you need a little more. But I mean, they've got plenty of goalkeepers. We'll see if they sign Eric Dick from the reentry draft, and they'll have a fifth goalkeeper on the roster. Enough um,
0: goalkeepers. We're good. We're
2: yeah. Good. So many goalkeepers.
0: Um, well,
1: they they may. Th- there's been talks of of Columbus's own Matt Lampson potentially retiring. Oh.
0: That okay, could so be, we'd be that down could to be what? the reason. We'd be down
1: to seven then. They would yeah, they they <laughs> only have seven goalkeepers. Only seven goalkeepers. And I only say that because our our Sam Fami was on a Zoom with uh with T Bone from the fan, a former Massive Report or a Massive Report alum and Lampson was on there discussing that. So I it's you know, he hasn't made up his mind, but that's you know, Matt and I go back a ways. Uh we're old and tired and mm-hmm. uh so you know, if Matt decides to hang it up, there's a reason why they they yeah. at least looked at it. Eric Dick, well, yeah. Patrick.
0: Before I <laughs> he before he lives I, in
1: Hilliard, right? Matt Lapson. Matt is a Hilliard kid. I don't know okay. where he is currently living. All right, so he's probably close. Or to I where can't I reveal think. it at the at least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what is the address again? No, so Patrick. Before I go to you to get your answer, uh, the designated player is. Am I correct that we've paid it down to where we have two open? Uh, Columbus has two open positions
1: uh they can potentially no i don't i don't think that's correct i could be wrong about this i haven't really looked into it i think that they can have it have one okay um because so 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 here's a funny thing about mls and the crew if you go to the crew's website it lists the <laughs> three I, rostered. I if you them. go to the roster three players is a designated player if you go to the mls roster for the crew it lists three players that are designated players uh they're not the same right so i'm gonna put this out here i've put this out here but i want it to be on your podcast andrew uh the designated players for the crew are darlington nagby Jossi zardes and lucas the crew's website says pedro santos that is not correct it's wrong he's not a designated player
0: Now, wasn't Pedro Santos was brought in as a designated? Correct,
1: correct, and they just Mensa. They no Mensa is not he's a Tam guy, okay, which is what Pedro is now. Um, My understanding, and I am no Tim Bezbachenko, though I would like to be. Um, I play one on Saturdays, but uh, or in Football Manager. But uh, my understanding is that the Giassi contract can fairly easily be bought into TAM level, but Nagby and Zelrayon are both going to continue. They, they are going to be designated players. So there's definitely an opening as a designated player, uh, but I do not think, I, do, I don't think, I don't want to say anything definitive here because I could just be wrong and talking off out of my ass, but I don't think that they could buy down they definitely can't buy down Zelrayon. I don't think you can buy down Nagby.
0: Okay, now why I ask is if you have one DP spot open, even let alone the potential of two, I think it's fair to say that we have seen that this ownership group is is willing to spend money and bring in talent. I think it's fair to say that our starting eleven is going to change between now and March. I, I just I don't think we've got eleven from February. February. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we've got eleven locked in players. I just don't. And I think the two positions that I'm seeing potentially as bringing in a DP would be the winger uh, opposite Luke, uh, opposite Pedro, or the one that I really, if you told me that one player was not coming back as a starter in 2021, my guess would be Harrison awful. And Patrick, I'm going to, I'm going to go to you and see where
1: do you think we see improvement moving into the next season? I think I think that makes sense. I on, so Caleb's big thing, and obviously this was not the case this year with how the pandemic and everything worked out. The only additions they really brought in during the season were, you know, MLS guys, Alache, you know, those type of guys, Boateng. Um, But Caleb always has said that he wants to add from the top. So, you know, you want to bring in a guy who at the very least is competing with your starter. Uh, Now, obviously, you know, you're going to bring in depth guys. You're going to bring in a a Chris Cadden to, you know, maybe be the future or things like that. But I think that's the general philosophy. So I think that the, I think that they will look to add on the wing for sure. I mean, they need to add on the wing just depth wise at this point. Um, But it would not surprise me given where Pedro is in his career. If they look to find a guy that pushes on, on that side of him, like, you know you have Diaz. You know you have Etienne, who are going to play that, like, stretch, you know, run the flank winger, that speed guy type of thing.
0: That's really but interesting. That's a really no, interesting concept.
1: Yeah, with no Mokhtar, um, like, you need that second guy who can kind of play that, that Pedro Santos role. And I think that they will look to add not a guy – like, a guy that can genuinely push Pedro if not, you know – take his spot and you know Caleb wants competition like he wants that and you know if you feel uncomfortable get out you know that I mean that's kind of his his uh you know thought about like you need to be pushed um I also think that they will add at the forward position um now obviously the Bradley Wright Phillips stuff helps that now but this I you know I don't know what the terms of the deal were uh, but you know and maybe this isn't like this off season, but there I know for sure that those two positions have been areas where they've had serious talks with guys that would be Tam level DP level guys so um, those those are positions that they are very focused on at some point uh, I do think the Harrison awful thing is is very interesting because he was i think people have a a very unique view on harrison awful when he does bicycle kicks out of the back like it's exciting and things like that but when he gives up goals to chicago it's like we need to immediately cut him and find somebody else and he's 35 um so like harry is what harry is right and until he starts losing his legs he's gonna be that guy who runs up and down the wings is occasionally going to give you the dime balls that he did in mls cup but he's also just going to sometimes not defend very well and you know he's he's done that since he was 22 like this isn't harrison getting old but you have to account for that fact so i think that is a position that they clearly were looking at with chris cadden i think you can you can make your own assessments of chris cadden based on his lack of playing time and what they think of him um you know again this is not being a practice i don't i can't judge you know generally i i, I can be like look eduardo sosa isn't very good at soccer at this level you know no, no disrespect to eduardo sosa he just wasn't ready for mls because i see it at practice with cadden i i honestly don't know i've I've seen the guy practice what twice and then the, the same games that everyone else has so um, but i
0: think it's safe to say that Caleb Porter has proven as a coach, if you're good enough and you're ready, he's going to start you. We saw that with Aiden Morris starting MLS Cup, right?
1: Well, and at least, maybe not. You're gonna he's going to start you, but at least you know because I mean Harry didn't miss much time, so there wasn't an opportunity for that position. But Fair. but uh, you know, plus, I think plus. I think there would have been more they would have played cadden more and given Harry a little bit of rest. If they felt like, Oh, we've got our guy. Yeah.
2: But also with the condensed schedule and all of that, there was just this need for so much rotation. So, you know, they were in positions where Berhalter had to start. Morris had to start. You had to start Namath. You had to start, uh, you know, sometimes Kada Williams, Tarbell, you know, almost every position they had to have somebody come in with the depth. So, You know, hopefully, 2021 will be a normally scheduled season. I think we will have a normally scheduled season. The big question mark is where we're at with the pandemic and fans. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see where the squad is. But, hey, if they need a right back, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold is just sitting right there. You can just bring him to Columbus. No problem.
1: I thought you were going to offer up your own services. I didn't play right back. I played strike.
2: I probably could not. I was not much of a defender. I was a striker winger. I had to play goalkeeper my senior year of high school you at five. Played f- goalkeeper? I played okay. goalkeeper we have this at this
1: conversation. At
2: five time. four. So but I'm a striker winger. I can't play right back. But the modern day right back, eh, maybe. But hey, if the crew wants to sign me, go for it.
0: Any other any other side roads you want to go down there, Murphy? You want to ask him about a, about his high school prom or We didn't right. have a prom. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Answers that question.
0: Well, I, I think... I can ask you about your career, Andrew, your soccer <laughs> career. <laughs> I also played goalkeeper. Uh, if it, if it's, we're not going down this road. Anyway, um, so, <laughs> so we're moving into 2021, and I think the thing that's really interesting with the signing of Bradley Wright Phillips is you see that uh, Columbus is now on the radar of players that this is no longer... This is a team where players want to go because this is a team that just became MLS Cup champions are moving into a brand new stadium. There's hype behind Columbus. Columbus is a sexy place to play right now. And I think we're going to see that in the signings moving into 2021. So I think, I think we're going to have an exciting off season. And I think that as long as we continue to see this growth from the the ownership, from our coach, from our club, I think we're going to continue to see Columbus crew become a, a really exciting team to watch just, keep building we won a championship in in 2020 with what a lot of people saw as as a stepping stone year now imagine the finished product and what this club's going to be capable of it's really and not
2: just the crew is you know a team that you know is not like the sexy team people want to come to columbus the city as well especially in a year with a pandemic and covid you know seeing what has happened to big cities and people's mentality about it with the way businesses have you know, people have lost their businesses in the way, you know, rent costs as well. I mean, the, the mass exodus of people from New York City and Los Angeles as well. And Columbus is this sort of, you know, perfect middle of the line between a big city and a somewhat small city, about a million or so people in the city of Columbus has just exploded in regards to business and population over the last 15 to 20 years. I still remember when, you know, heading to MLS Cup cause I didn't have a parking pass. You know, my dad had to take me. And I remember asking him like, what was downtown? Like, you know, seeing the stadium get built there. And he, and my, my dad and my mom have lived in Columbus for more than 30 years now. It's like downtown was nothing. You know, there was, there was nothing here. And it was small. It was a lot of fields and whatnot, but this is a, this, this soccer team and this city are growing more together. And Columbus is starting to, you know, well, is now on the map as one of the bigger cities in America, but, it's it's now a sexy city and we could see a lot of growth from a group perspective and the city of Columbus as well. It's an exciting time to be
1: here. When I think the, that there are players around the league who now recognize what Ori just said that like Columbus is a cool place to be, especially like you look at the MLS season, you know, most of the time you're here is like a good time to be in Ohio, you know, like, yeah. You, you start in March, but like you're on preseason for, for January, February, that often means leaving, you know, so if you're just thinking like weather wise, people are the, you know, the crew is here for, for mostly, you know, the, the spring, summer, fall, but uh, there, I, I, I mean, like I've talked to players. There are, there are guys Hector Jimenez, a guy that has told me multiple times how much he loves Columbus. And I know he signed with Austin and, You know, if we want to get into that whole conversation, that's a, that's a separate, but like, you know, he had a child here, him and his wife are very big fans of Columbus. It would not surprise me if they retain a residence in Columbus, for instance. And I know that other guys who, you know, maybe weren't, you know, Brian McBride, for instance, is a guy who will talk to you glowingly about Columbus, Ohio. And he hasn't lived here for a while, but like, he comes back frequently, things like that. So, you know, we, to transition into the Bradley Wright Phillips conversation. And I think that there are other, th- other similar level, um, you know, conversations happening, whether or not they, they work out you know, both within the league and without, um, you know, like people recognize not only is this team good and there's a chance to win a championship. And this is really the first time in MLS with like free agency and things where like you can have that like NBA style, Hey, I'm gonna move to this team and be on a you know be a contender. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna chase a ring, for instance. Tampering. but not legitimately, but no, but like that hasn't happened in MLS, really. I mean, like the last couple of years. I mean, free agency has just become a thing within the last several years. But like, you know, the, there's this is gonna start becoming a thing, and the crew are well positioned. Because of all the things we just touched on, they're going to be in the running. They have a good business plan. They're opening a stadium downtown. They've got this new training facility. This is a up-and-coming city that's affordable, and you know you can live a pretty good life on an MLS salary in Columbus as opposed to some of those other cities. Um, and you know, so yeah, I'll see, MLS free agency is going to change. I think in the next several years, and I think it's positioned for Columbus to be you're not going to be LA. You're not going to be New York, but like you can be a very solid franchise if you're well run, which I think they are. And I think that, you know, the, the BWP situation is, is the first of these, like, you know, go sign that veteran guy you need to, to really bring your roster. And the thing that I don't think is getting talked about enough with him is that this guy is a a phenomenal locker room dude. And we talked earlier about dudes, you know, this, this team, And I think he's going to fit in from my understanding. I've never spoken to the guy, but people I've people that I've talked to that covered him and things like that, guys that played with him, um, you know, like nothing but great things to say about him. And I say that as a United fan talking about a guy that came from a city academy. So it it hurts me a little bit. Whose father played for Arsenal and is one of the best players to put on the Arsenal shirt. Right. And his brother, uh, you know, did terrible, terrible things. I remember when
2: his brother played. I loved watching Sean Wright-Phillips. Yeah. He was one of my I'm Talking, favorite talking players about to run watch. fast
1: like Luis Diaz. Oh uh, yeah. No, I but in, in sincerity, I do think he's going to be very good for this team, you know. We'll see what he scores. I mean, what he scores. 6 goals this year or 8 goals this year for for uh, LAFC. That's more than um, Columbus's second and, leading scorer. And not as many here. starts.
0: And what's interesting about the the role of Bradley right? Phillips coming into Columbus before we wrap up this season depth is arguably more important uh, the 2021 season depth is arguably more important than it was in the 2020 season because like where touched on earlier we have the US Open Cup we have the CONCACAF League, we have MLS Cup, we have international duty that's going to be happening. We've got
2: lots of international duty happening. It's, it's going to be really hard. congested, right? Congested, And, 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 and with it, that
0: like, international duty, we're going to lose Luis Diaz. We're going to lose Jossie Zardes. We're going to lose L.A. Room. We've got players that we are going to be playing a lot of this season without, and we've got
2: potentially Mensa too with uh, world cup qualify. I mean, just looking at the roster from an international perspective, several
0: different competitions that yeah. are going to be going on this year. And it wasn't last
2: Etienne. Etienne's playing for Haiti for sure.
0: Last season we saw international duty kicked Columbus's ass. So having depth next season is going to be extremely important. And a guy like Bradley Wright Phillips to be able to step in for Jossie Zardes,
1: that is Huge. I was gonna say massive, but I don't want to get too punny. Wait, and you Brad- don't think Bradley Wright Phillips is getting called up for the England national team?
2: He's gonna play in the Euros. He's gonna be ahead of Kane and Rashford. You know, Bradley Wright Phillips wins Euro twenty twenty one for England well, at Wembley. Yeah. If Marcus
1: not- Rashford continues to miss sitters like he did today, <laughs> uh, then Bradley Wright Phillips might uh, mar- mark might. my Sorry. words. Star, Andrew- star, for-
2: star for England and your Euro- in the Euros will be Jack Grealish. I don't want
1: to I don't want Columbus
0: to sign any more national or international players just for the the sake of, we got to build our, we got to build our home team for when our away team's gone. So either way, it's exciting. It's an exciting off season. I can't wait to see what the moves are going to be happening and, and what rumors are flurrying about. And I know one man who we can turn to in time of need for rumors and, uh, and guidance in this time is Patrick Murphy. So Patrick, why don't you tell my listeners where they can find you during the off season
1: and uh, and what you're going to be up to. Yeah. uh, I will be up to this, the same, the same stuff, different day. Um, But uh, at underscore Pat underscore Murphy, it's a, it's a complicated name to find a Twitter, Twitter handle for. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, Andrew, thanks for having us on. Uh, I do really appreciate it. Uh, You've, you've done a great job this year, building this podcast um, and all the stuff you've done on mass report. So, Thanks for having us. I, I, this, this has been fun.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you. And I'm glad that we were able to make it, make it work. This has been yeah. the hardest, the hardest lo- to light up podcast I've done all season because, Murphy, you are a busy man with many yeah. sports to cover. Yeah. So yeah. and Turns Ori- out all you
1: needed was me hungover one day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, all right. So let's address that before I get to worry uh, <laughs> for our Zoom call. <laughs> this has been making me laugh. The entire duration of the podcast, I even sent something in the Zoom meeting, Patrick is sitting in a dark room drinking a White Claw.
1: Looks like he's under a bridge. <laughs> and so this many is my times, fourth White Claw, just so we're clear.
0: So many times while you're- I, I'm
1: just starting to feel alive again.
0: So many times while you're midpoint, I've had to mute my microphone and laugh <laughs> because of your situation right now. So yeah. I'm glad
1: you the brought it. The light's hard right now, but it would be harsh on my eyes. And or, This room doesn't actually get a lot of light anyway, but yeah, yeah.
0: Corey, <laughs> yeah, I I think we've done one podcast together on on what Patrick would refer to it as the main, <laughs> but, uh, but this is our first time getting to really talk in depth. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. It was, it was a great time. Why don't you tell these people where they can find you?
2: Yeah, um, at O Benatar five one two O B E N A T A R five one two and as Brian Phillips says, maybe the coolest name he's ever heard. Very easy Twitter handle to find for sure. Sorry. I'm patting myself on the back too much, but um, yeah, no, I'll, I'll be, uh, I'll be trying to catch up with any reports that are going to be coming out for, uh, for crew stuff and just in general sports talk as well, but uh, also make sure to follow us on Facebook, Um, our Instagram account continuing to grow as well. Uh, Making graphics for that as often as I can with off season news and original ideas as well. And, yeah, that's where I am. I see Pat has his hand raised.
1: Yeah, if I'm gonna tout, uh, tout uh, Andrew and what he's uh, what he's done this year in, in building this podcast, I also have to give Ori a lot of love. Uh, yeah, you've been a great addition. People should should know that all these graphics and everything that we have, which we have had a limited amount of in the past, uh, are from Ori, and he's done a great job with that and you know the the stuff you're writing is good too um and the insight on both this podcast and the main podcast (laughs) the the mothership the mothership you'll get there someday andrew uh but i've been on
0: twice i know know. i'm just teasing
1: (laughs) but uh no i i you both have been very good additions we've had a ton of good additions i don't want to make it sound like anyone has been left out but you both have been great And I've really enjoyed getting to know and work with both of you this year. And I appreciate what you guys do.
2: Yeah. And thanks for having us on, Andrew. And uh, here's to a great 2021, uh, to a happy and healthy new year and uh, a great season ahead. And hopefully we'll all get to meet in person at some point, you know, another more often than not, where we don't have to wear masks and we're all vaccinated and COVID free.
0: Absolutely. It's it's good dudes covering good dudes. That's what Massive Reports byline should become. Just good dudes covering good dudes. Well, for me. Like that. You can yeah, find me good. on Twitter at Andrew Atkins. You can find the show on Twitter at Crew Review Pod. For all your crew news, updates, and analysis, go to massivereport.com or follow them on Twitter at Massive Report. So that's it for us. That's it for the crew season review in our fifteen hour podcast we just wrapped up. <laughs> It was a blast. I love talking crew. It's, uh, it's just something that you, you see it. It's a, it's a team that's fun to talk about. We could talk about it all night. But f- we're going to sign off for now. So, as always, for Mass Report, I'm Andrew Atkins, and this has been the Crew Review Podcast. Glory to Columbus. Go Crew.